checking. One, two, check, check. I think we're okay. I hope so. All right. So for 30andnerdy.com, I'm Matt. I'm Scott. And you're listening to our Metal Gear Solid 5 podcast. Um, it's probably going to end up being a podcast extravaganza. Really good chance of that. We tend to get out of control. Yeah. And if you're listening to us now, there's a good chance you haven't listened to us in a really, really long time. So thanks for joining us again. We're glad to be back. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Metal Gear Solid Five. This game's been out for a little over two weeks now, and for a little over two weeks now, it absolutely consumed all of my time that wasn't spent, you know, working and taking care of life things and whatnot. Yeah, sleeping. What? Um, I forget. You you sent me an email saying like, "Hey, we should do a podcast about this." You've been playing this game that the the world at this point seems to be talking about and for the most part raving about Mm -hmm. yeah well it it, uh came to my attention largely because of you um Mm. because you were posting incessantly about it on either facebook or twitter (laughs) and and so i knew you obviously i knew you were excited for the game and then the second the game came out radio silence from you (laughs) 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 And and I knew that had to be a good thing because if you didn't like the game, you would have been complaining about it, you know, vocally online, uh, or I would have heard from you in some capacity. I think. And so, uh, when two weeks, about two weeks, went by and I didn't hear from you, I thought there's got to be something going on with this game. We should probably talk about it. And then you received an email from me saying, "Yes, I just got done putting ninety hours in it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in, in the span of about two weeks, you put 90 hours into, uh, into Metal Gear Solid Five. Um, I, I definitely want to know your reactions, your, your full reaction to the game. Um, and it's clear that if you put 90 hours into a game, you're enjoying it. But one thing, uh, if you just want to say one thing before we get into the rest of the podcast, just to sort of, uh, you know, bait the appetite of our, of our listeners, what would you say right now before we get into it? Well, before we get into me getting into it and baiting them, <laughs> okay, because, because right, um, whenever you talk about Metal Gear Solid Five, I feel like you're either, you've got those people who, who are already on board with either the game or the series. Okay, okay, basically you've got people who have played Metal Gear Solid Five to completion and there's nothing left for us to spoil for them. And then you've got people who have either just begun playing it or aren't sure if they're going to dive into it. And we can spoil the world for them. And so I want to know, we should have probably gone over this ahead of time. Are we going to do like a full-on spoiler cast? Or do you want me to tiptoe around uh, sensitive content in the game? I prefer to have a conversation where we just get into everything. Okay. Um, You know, so I guess we should, if you're willing to, we should do the spoiler alerts. Let's do a spoiler cast, especially if yeah. you don't think that it's something that you're going to ever invest in. Uh, yeah, I'm also, I'm also not just usually concerned about spoilers. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, there's some like big stuff I, in this game. There's some crazy stuff, but I, I would love to talk about it all. All right, well, let's do it then. Okay, so, so to bait the audience, this is going to be a spoiler cast, as it turns out. Um, <laughs> if you love action games, if you love stealth games, or if you've ever loved a Metal Gear Solid game, uh, off the bat, I highly recommend it. So... If you're wondering whether or not you should play this game, <laughs> the answer off the top of my head is yes, definitely. Um, 
but this is going to be a spoiler cast. So if you haven't done that yet and you don't want things spoiled for you, uh, you know, go, go, just go buy it, go play it, like get your hand on this. Yeah, because for all the things about this game that could potentially, you know, piss you off, at, you know, at some point in the game, and oh my god, I can't wait to get into it and talk about it. Um, there is way more good in this game than there is bad. Cool. Okay, so would, we'll go into an overview of the uh, the history yeah. of the series if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, it's really easy to think of Metal Gear as a series that began on the PlayStation because that's certainly when its popularity exploded. And that's the current numbering system that we're working off of. Um, but before that, back in 1987, there was Metal Gear Solid, um, or MSX, I guess, well, um, that was released. Metal Gear 1 for the MSX, which was actually, a, I don't know if, I, I don't know if it was a console platform or like a, a PC-based platform, but it was like a, a Japanese-only system, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't even know about that one. Uh, yeah. Cool. So it was released on the MSX, um, in 87, and then on the NES, oh, I see now, on the NES in 88. Um, yes. It saw a unofficial sequel in 1990 uh, called Snake's Revenge. Yeah, Metal Gear 2 Snake's Revenge. Yeah. Um, and then another Metal Gear 2 in 90 on the MSX, or is that the same game? No, so here's what happened with that. Um, and I learned this from actually listening to a bunch of non-spoilery Metal Gear <laughs> uh, <laughs> podcasts in the in the weeks while oh, I've been playing the game, right? And so I guess that, uh, you know, like obviously, like you said out here in 87, uh, here in America, we got Metal Gear 1. Um, and then the way I heard it was people received this other game, like this other game just ended up on store shelves called Metal Gear 2, Snake's Revenge. And... I guess for people who loved the first game, what they noticed about the Snake's Revenge is that immediately was that it was really crappy. <laughs> it was just like a bad game and, and that people were, you know, just like asking themselves, like, what happened? How did this fall apart? Et cetera, et cetera. And what it turned out was that it was just, uh, yeah, like some non-official, alternatively developed game that was not written or made or, you know, by, by Hideo Kojima, the, the series creator whatsoever. Um, just sort of then, slapped with the Metal Gear name. Yes, exactly. Um, same character. Sort of like, sort of like when, Mario, when Mario 2 actually started out as a different game and then they decided to warp it into a Mario game. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Um, although I, Mario 2 is actually a good game, though. But <laughs> yeah, far more successful. <laughs> yeah, I digress. I heard, um, I forget if it was Giant Bombcast or, what, or maybe it was one of the IGN ones I was listening to. Um, they said that supposedly when Snake's Revenge came out, that uh, Kojima didn't... He was like, what? Like, uh, <laughs> how did Metal Gear 2 come out? Like, I'm working on Metal Gear 2, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, um, Yeah, and so then, I believe it wasn't until they released one of those, like, legacy collections or, like, one of the, uh, one of the collections that they more recently in the past few years released on, like, uh, PlayStation 3 out here or, or whatever other consoles it came onto where you could play, like, you could play those those older games that were only released in Japan for the first time out here that, you know, like, we really got our hands on it. Mm. Yeah, because, like, Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, the official one that Kojima did make and put out on the MSX in Japan only in 1990 was the official sequel where he, um, you know, he, he evolved the systems that, that were present in the, the first game that he created. Uh, you know, the mm. graphics were better, the gameplay was better, uh, the story is actually canon. Things actually made sense. 
and it was a good game, unlike Snake's Revenge. Uh, it is worth noting that because these games were on the NES, they're um, very different graphically, of course. It was, uh, even though the uh, the Metal Gear that eventually came out on the PlayStation in 98 was top-down, uh, it had the, the 3D aspect to it, whereas, of course, the NES MXX games were 2D. Um, and probably more action-based, I never played them. Did you ever play these? No, I no, I never did. Uh, they were also okay. top down, though. Like so, so that the perspective that they went with on the the PlayStation version in 19, 1998 was actually the the next one that would come out after Metal Gear Two: yeah. Solid Snake in nineteen ninety. Eight years later, crazy. Um, like yeah, huge jump in technology between. Yeah, the two. yeah, huge jump in technology. But I think it's so cool if you look at the screenshots of the you know the games side by side, you see where where the idea for that camera perspective, you know, mm -hmm. in the 1998 Metal Gear Solid 1 came from. Like, it was definitely an evolution of, of that idea that Kojima had so long ago. Um, it, as far as, like, action versus stealth and stuff like that, I think for the most part, like, also, leading up to Metal Gear Solid 5's launch, I, I did have the opportunity to watch some live streams on Twitch of Metal Gear 1 and, and Metal Gear mm -hmm. 2 and stuff like that. Um, and there's still, like, the, the stealth mechanics are there. It's all just very, oh, okay. I don't know, rudimentary is a good word. You know, like, you're trying not to be yeah. seen. The enemies get the exclamation marks over their heads um, when, when you're spotted. And they kind of just follow you around until you take them out. Um, and I don't know if there is a system where you can break line of sight with them uh, or, like, how you hide after you're seen in the older games. I'm not sure if you just have to punch them or shoot them and take them out. Uh, but it's the same thing where you're sneaking your way around environments, you have boss battles, um, except it's all very NES era in that, you know, it was super limited with, with what you could yeah. do with it at the time. But uh, some of the things that were in play back then, besides, like I said, some of the certain gameplay elements, was um, the whole... Uh, like the, the codex system where you have like two characters and you have, uh, you know, like their portraits and they're, they're talking to each other by, you know, having text go back and forth on the, on the screen and whatnot. And so even back in those early days, Kojima was, um, you know, showing his interest in this more story driven, I guess, like a, you know, cinematic, uh, you know, presentation, you know, when, when you yeah. compare it to games like, you know, Mario and, and Double Dragon and, you know, stuff yeah. that was out at the time. Interesting. Okay, so then we've got you know the the low res uh, low, low res games eighty seven, eighty eight, uh -huh. uh, with for the first one, then ninety for these unofficial sequel, and then Hideo Kojima's actual sequel, Solid Snake, in ninety, and then eight years later we get Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation, and this is the game that broke open the series. It was wildly popular. Uh, it incorporated a variety of new uh, game mechanics, including. Uh, a lot with the vibrating controller. I recall at one point there's a boss that you that like it tries to intimidate you by telling you to put the controller on the ground, and then like he he shakes it so hard that the controller starts bouncing around like crazy. Uh, at least that's a story that I remember Garrett telling me. Yeah, so um, the, the the infamous Psycho Mantis boss battle. He he does yeah. all sorts of stuff. He'll um yeah if you you've got the I don't know if they called it the Dual Shock back then, but if you if you had the Rumble controller. I think so. Yeah, if they, if they call it the dual, anyway, if you had the dual shot controller and you put it on a hard surface, you would make it vibrate. So yeah, like you said, it danced around. Um, if you had other Konami games loaded onto your memory card, uh, he would say things like, "Oh, I see you like playing Castlevania." Oh no way! Yeah, 
Um, during this boss battle, Scott, other things happened too. Um, he he would make the screen go blank, like he would make it look like uh, like you lost your video signal, and then the word hideo um, would appear oh. in the upper right hand corner and like uh, in green text. You know, like at the time, if, if people didn't know, it's like you know Hideo Kojima's uh, first name. Um, he would also, what else did he did in order to beat him? So, so what he's doing in this boss battle, maybe we should probably talk about this stuff later. Anyways, you got me on a roll. <laughs> he like, um, you know, he's got like a psychic, uh, psychokinesis abilities and stuff like that. And so you're fighting him in some sort of like a boardroom and he's launching like chairs and, and objects that are on shelves, you know, like across the room at you, pictures and portraits and stuff like that. And you're trying to dodge him and, and, and you're trying to, to shoot him with your gun to take him out and stuff like that. But he always either dodges your bullets or, or blocks your attack and stuff like that. And what you need to do to defeat him is you need to unplug your controller from controller port one and plug it into controller port two because he's actually, quote unquote, reading your mind when you plug it into a, you know, when you're playing with it plugged into port one. And when you plug into port two, you can't read your mind anymore. Um, And the way that you figure this out in the game without using like a strategy guide or anything like that is during... During the battle, if you go into your codec and you talk to, I believe it's Colonel Campbell. It's one of the people. I think it's the colonel that's guiding you through the mission. He'll he'll actually let you know to do that. Oh, okay. The game did so, so many that, cool things. So it's not just good guessing. <laughs> yeah, it's not just good guessing. I, I think it, for me, it might have been one of those things where somebody on the school bus told me how to mm-hmm. beat that battle. I was struggling with it. Scott, the game does this this thing in one moment where you, I believe it's when you have to contact Merrill for the first time. And the colonel... I believe it's the colonel again, says that he can't remember Meryl's uh, codec number, her frequency, her codec frequency to reach her. He says, but if you look on the back of the game box, you should be able to find it. And on the back of of the PlayStation 1 game box is a screenshot of Snake, of of the codec screen of Snake talking to Meryl, and you can see her codec frequency on the screenshot, and that's how you figure out how to contact her. That is so weird. So I mean, it sounds like a like lot of fun, but, oh, but yeah, God. like the game sort of steps out of itself. And, and, it uh, does. It breaks the yeah. fourth wall multiple Very times. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and on top of doing that, it, uh, I don't recall what the, the state of stealth games were at the time, but it felt revolutionary uh, or it felt very heavy in terms of stealth mechanics. Whereas we had and all have always had a variety of games that are heavy on the action and you know, something like even Ninja Gaiden back in the day. It's like, yeah, it's a quote-unquote stealth game. You know, you just stick yourself to the wall, wait for the guard to pass, and hit him as he goes by. Um, oh, yeah. But um, Metal Gear Solid, more like Tenshu, was playing with the perceptions of the people that you were trying to sneak past or, um, or attack and take out, and you actually had to respond to them as though they were people in a world as opposed to an autonomous bot roaming about. That's a really good comparison. I forgot about Tenchu uh, Stealth Assassin, uh, but yeah, those uh, are probably like the, so much Tenchu. <laughs> those are probably like the two premium like play PS One era like stealth games. Like yeah, oh man. Yeah, but unlike Tenchu, Metal Gear continued to be a venerable series. Whereas Tenchu jumped the shark in the second game. <laughs> oh, is it the second game? It didn't take long then, huh? Well, it you know not, what? It did not. <laughs> There's some I, I, people that don't t- oh go on. <laughs> well, I was gonna say I remember knowing that I was in trouble playing Tenchu Two when the first level starts you in the middle of the field in the middle of the day, and you're supposed to be oh. a ninja. <laughs> it's like <laughs> put me at night in a town. Um, yeah, it it 
just feels like it completely missed the mark. Although there were cool things that you could do in Tenchu 2, the game had, had lost its mystique, um, and I don't think it ever recovered. I didn't even bother with 3, and I don't know what they did after that. That's uh, but, yeah, but Metal Gear continued after the wild success of Metal, Metal Gear 1 from 98. Um, it hopped systems to, or hopped generations, I suppose I should say, to uh, PlayStation 2 in 2001. Uh, I also I want to pause you real quick. Um, so yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say that uh, worth noting when we go through this list is we're talking about uh, the Metal Gear games that that are kind of like canon to like the whole mm -hmm. big boss slash Solid Snake saga because Metal Gear Solid VR missions did come out oh, on PlayStation right. One. I didn't list it because it's not like you know it's like it's a side game you know. So yeah. Sorry, I just you know for 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 listeners, so somebody isn't like oh they forgot VR missions. It's like man, right, yeah. Really, just we're like going we're not going to talk about it. Uh, yeah, like, uh, what it's was like that one? It's to try and list all the Resident Evil games. It's like, we're not going to talk about, you know, all the in-between or half games or zero or, like, all the... Yeah, because there's a lot stick, of them. Yeah, yeah, we'll just stick to the spine, more or less. Right. Okay, so sorry, go on. You said after Metal Gear yeah. Solid 2. Uh, they, they put it on the Xbox eventually as well. Um, and then Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes on the GameCube in 2004. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, PlayStation 2 again in 2004, so same year. Then Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops for the PSP in 2006. Um, then number 4 on the PlayStation 3 in 2008. Then Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker for the PSP in 2010. And then, just a couple of weeks ago, Metal Gear Solid 5 for the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, Xbox One. Xbox 360, and PC. <laughs> I didn't know it was on PC. Interesting. Yeah. I guess it's supposed to be uh, the PC version actually got some love, you know, with, like, some uh, ultra settings and stuff like that. So oh, it's uh, one of those ports that uh, it sounds like they put time into it and that it does look better than the, the PS4 and Xbox One versions. Oh, cool. Yes, Maybe I'll check it out. I'm probably <laughs> going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. PCs yeah. definitely have the graphical advantage, or should worth worth uh, noting. So anyway, worth noting in that list that you just went through, uh, Portable Ops on mm -hmm. PSP, uh, kind of like Snake's Revenge, was also not developed by Hideo Kojima. Um, I don't know, but but I do know that he has since come out to say that many of the, the storyline parts of that game are actually canon. I don't know if it was canon written by him or supervised by him. I could have sworn that at one point in history he said, no, it's not canon. And then three years later-ish or whatever, a chunk of time went on mm -hmm. and then he said, like, oh, no, actually some of that stuff did really happen. So uh, the, certain elements of the, the series' uh, story has always been kind of... Uh, messy. When I did a lot of research about the series kind of leading up to five in my own personal anticipation, the word retcon <laughs> came up uh -huh. time and time and time again. And I had actually never heard of the word uh, oh. until reading about this series. And I was like, oh man, it was, it was kind of disappointing to hear that there were so many points at which Ko Kojima would say like, no, that didn't happen. Or yes, that really did happen. Or he had come up with some like ridiculous reason for how something happened. Like, he's just, like, pulling crap out of his, you know, out of his ass, I guess you could say, you know, to <laughs> certain story elements in the series, like, piece together and stuff like that. And, you know, despite all of that stuff, it's still 
there's no other game series like it. Yeah. Really you know, it's funny, as for, you know, because I lived through a good majority of the series, well aware of video gaming. Um, as the series was progressing, it, uh, the, I had so many friends who were playing it that would be discussing the ins and outs of the plot and trying to figure out what was going on. And it sounded like such a mess that it was actually off-putting to me. Um, aside from, <laughs> I, was, I was like, you know, I, you know, I, can, I play plenty of games that don't have a coherent plot, but it sounds like the Metal Gear series has been trying to work with this large arc. And like you said, there's been so much retconning or questionable entries that like the Star Wars universe, nobody is really certain what is canon and what isn't. And I'm sure That's somebody's really going well, <laughs> yeah. sure to say, well, there's an official canon, blah, blah, blah. But like, there's just so much out there that it's got to be easy to forget which piece belongs where. Um, but that said, uh, what is the series about? <laughs> what, <laughs> what is the, <laughs> what is the primary conflict that these games, I, I imagine the story rebooted in 98 or has the story been consistent since 1987? No, it's been consistent since 1987. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. And okay. So, so, so what is the primary conflict over the last almost 30 years? All right, and here's where we're going to kind of start going into some spoiler territory, okay? Do it. Okay. So so the game actually okay, so this series actually starts out with Metal Gear Solid 3. Um, you've got the character that's like this the, the first the first game the in the timeline is Metal Gear Solid 3. Okay, so the one on the PlayStation from 2004 is actually a prequel. Uh, wait, the one on PlayStation in 1998? No, no, you said said Metal Gear Solid 3. Yes, Metal Gear Solid 3, which came out on PlayStation 2 in 2004. Right. As far as that that game's storyline is concerned, that's where the series starts. Okay. So, so, yeah, so, yeah, chronologically speaking, it's the first. It is a prequel. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's actually, you bring up a good point. Let me, let me see if I can do this off the top of my head here. Okay, so... Storyline-wise, in chronological order, you have Metal Gear Solid 3, um, Portable Ops, Peace Walker, Ground Zeroes, slash uh, Phantom Pain. Then you have Metal Gear 1, Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, Metal Gear Solid 1, Metal Gear Solid 2, and when I say one, I mean one slash twin snakes. Um, right. And then you have uh, Metal Gear Solid 4. That's, that's the order that they go in. <laughs> okay. Wow. And so, um, okay, where do I even go? Okay, where do I even then, so, then where does 5 fit in the, the chronology? Oh, Metal Gear Solid 5, uh, like I said, it goes, so it goes 3, Horrible Ops, Peace oh, wow, okay. Walker, Ground Zeroes, Metal Gear Solid 5. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so Metal Gear Solid Five is the one that leads into Metal Gear One on the MSX slash <laughs> NES, and that came out in nineteen eighty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> so he's almost working backwards. Yeah, but that and that's why this game was so special was because for people who played Metal Gear One and Metal Gear Two back on the uh, MSX slash NES uh, back in those days. Um, for people who were paying attention to the canon as far back as that, there were some really big, 
what looked like holes at the time and things that people weren't sure made sense and, uh, uh, you know, just theories and conspiracy theories and things like that. And so Metal Gear Solid Five is the first time that the that the series has really come full circle and just kind of completed itself. Weird. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So, like, a brief overview of just kind of, like, the, the games, they're, they're thematically, they're, they're about control. Uh, they're... There's stories about soldiers going into war. Uh, it's it's about the the state of nuclear power in in the world, and, and just like it, it's all it's always a, it's a government control, conspiracies, you know. Just oh my god, my earpiece fell out. <laughs> of my, of my microphone. It's just like it, it's it's about that kind of stuff. And so Metal Gear Solid Three. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I got to figure out how I'm going to say this first. This is going to take me a really, really freaking long time to, to go through all of this. And so to, to spare us the, uh, the two hours it'll take me to go through this. Well, this, I tell you what, why don't we break it down then? Let, let me go like just the, the bare bone basics, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So metal your solid three, you've got a character called naked snake, naked snake. Um, is sent into, man, I don't even remember all the parts of the world that these that these games take place and they, they take place in Africa or I think, I think he sent into Russia. I'm not entirely sure. But, um, okay. So essentially Metal Gear Solid three naked snake eventually because of things that happen has to take out the boss. The boss is the greatest soldier who's ever lived. The boss is also a woman, which I think is incredible. She's trained, special forces teams like all throughout our lives and stuff like that. He's sent to take out the boss because he's told that the boss defected to the Soviet union and is like co-responsible for like detonating a nuke over there that America gets blamed for. Um, and so he's got to go take out the boss because Russia has basically said that if you kill the boss who's responsible for detonating a nuke in Soviet Russia, um, we're not going to retaliate, retaliate against you guys. We're not going to nuke the United States. Um, what he finds out at the end of the game, when he's basically going to put the final bullet in the boss's head, is that she was actually uh, faithful to the United States the whole time. She was like uh, either a double or triple agent um, mm-hmm. who actually just got caught up in like this... Th- this whirlwind of a, of a thing where she didn't know the nuke was going to go off and stuff like that. And so she basically agrees to let Naked Snake kill her in order to prevent uh, nuclear war. Mm. So when Snake, when Snake takes her out, he takes over her title. He takes over the title of boss, and they call him Big Boss from that point forward. Um, okay, so that's Metal Gear Solid 3. Um, and there's so much more, you know, like each of these games is like its own story. There's all sorts of crazy characters that you, like the cool thing about Metal Gear Solid 3, Scott, for like playing it for the first time, that's actually probably one of my least favorite ones, even though it has one of the most like amazing self-contained stories in the, in the entire series. It's like anybody can play Metal Gear Solid 3 because it's the first one in the story and just be told like a really great sci-fi Cold War espionage tale, you know? Mm. Um, I just didn't like the gameplay in it. Um, where did I say we go from there? Okay, so yeah, then it's like so after being after being tasked with like doing all of 
like all that stuff and taking out his mentor, the boss, and taking over the title and stuff like that and being saluted and congratulated by the government and stuff like that, Snake basically decides he doesn't want anything to do with the, the U.S. government. And so going into, like, leading into to Portable Ops um, and then Peace Walker, you have uh, Naked Snake slash Big Boss. We'll call him Big Boss at this point because that's what he's known as. Um, he starts up, like, his own his own military. Uh, it, it's called, like, mi- or, like, Militaire Sans Frontiers or something like that. Basically, uh, stands for, like, a military without borders. And sure. so he basically starts building his own private army. Uh, and in the process of, uh, oh, yeah, and at the end of Metal Gear Solid 3, like, he, you know, there's, like, a Metal Gear unit. Metal, Metal Gear in all the games is always, like, it's, it's usually, like, a bipedal walking robotic tank capable of, like, launching nuclear weapons uh, anywhere, um, which is terrifying. Anyways, mm-hmm. so in Portable Ops and then Peace Walker, Peace Walker definitely, like, uh, the Snake starts building a private army, which gets the attention of, like, all the, the nations around the world and stuff like that. So basically, he makes allies and he makes a lot of enemies and he makes enemies of uh, the U.S. government and other, other, government, other, ugh, other governments and things like that. Um, Peace Walker is about... Ah oh, man. In Peace Peace Walker has the gameplay of Metal Gear Solid 5, like the, the Fulton system where it's like you can you can be going stealth uh, out in the field and you can find soldiers who uh, you can see what like their stats and their attributes are and you know some guys are good at like combat, other guys are good at uh, support units or like intel units. Some people are like good medics and stuff like that. And so when you're out in the field in this game, you you essentially can strap these uh these giant balloons uh to the enemy soldiers and you can like suck them up into the air and they come back into your base. Um, and you're basically, <laughs> you're taking hostages <laughs> and you're convincing them to join your private army. But because of the, you know, the limited technology of the, the PSP back in the day, the whole base building thing, it was kind of like, it was a system. It was like a system of, of graphs and numbers and, and charts and things like that, that you were sort of like micromanaging. The game was like half gameplay you know, that Metal Gear fans knew, and it was sort of like half giant spreadsheet, you know, where you you were building this base on paper. And some people like that about it, and some people didn't like like it. Um, You know, like, storyline-wise, it's like Big Boss meets, like, the scientist. Um, And it turns out that, like, uh, I forget if it's the government or who the heck it was, but some people started building an AI system that had the original female boss's personality and all of her military knowledge. They built this AI system by going over, you know, all of the details of all of the the missions she had ever been on in her life, all the things she had ever said. Basically, every little morsel of information they had on her, they used to build an a- this AI system. And they wanted this AI system to basically be what controlled their next generation of uh, nuclear-capable weapons because they figured you know like the the original boss was like such an amazing person and such a good strategist and military leader and stuff like that that like what better to you know make the decisions in regards to like you know nuclear warfare than this ai version of a legendary soldier um and so that's kind of like i don't know am i making sense of peace walker (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm only tentatively following anyway. <laughs> okay, anyways, okay. So, there's, so Peace, there's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peace Walker's about snake building his army. I'll, I'll move on. Right. Okay. 
this gets even crazier. Snake is is big boss building his army, um, and then from Peace Walker you have Ground Zeroes. Ground Zeroes is about it's really short. It's like a you, you can beat this game well depending on how fast you do. We'll say like an average and anywhere between five minutes to an hour depending on how long you want to go through the core mission in this game, um, and it's about big boss going on a mission to retrieve hostages who once worked with him at uh, Outer Heaven, which is the base that he built in Peace Walker. Um, he's going to retrieve these hostages because the people who took them hostage are not nice. And uh, the, the people that were taken uh, hostage, Paz, uh, the female uh, spy, and uh, what was the other guy's name? Chico, uh, just somebody who was at the, uh, the mother base slash Outer Heaven. Uh, basically, these people know where... Big Boss's bases uh, and all this information on him and stuff like that, and he's got to go extract them for his own good. In the process of extracting both of them, it turns out that Paz has a bomb that's been implanted inside her. Um, so this is a crazy scene in the game, Scott, where like mm. you rescue her and you're on the helicopter and you're headed back to your base and your base is on fire and it's blowing up and basically one thing leads to another and this secret covert organization called XOF, which is like the opposite of Fox, which Fox is this organ, you know, like uh, one of the organizations in the game. Basically, uh, they stage like a fake United Nations visit and they take out everything that Big Boss spent all of the Peace Walker game building. And in the process, the bomb that was planted inside Paz goes off um, as she's jumping out of the helicopter trying to save Big Boss's life. Um, and the bomb goes off, and the game pretty much ends. <laughs> cool. After you watch the explosion, you know, like rip through the helicopter, um, and take out both Big Boss and, and one other character and stuff like that. Um, oh my god! Trying trying to do each of these in like three minutes or so is like trying to explain the most complex plot to like your favorite deep, crazy films in <laughs> three minutes. You know what I mean? But sure. instead of condensing 90 minutes into three minutes, it's condensing, you know, like on average, 15 hours of story yeah. into three minutes. It, it's ridiculous. Um, anyways, so like I said, so we went over Ground Zeroes, Metal Gear Solid Five. we'll get on it a little bit. Um, so Boss and Big Boss, right? They're the most incredible soldiers that have ever existed. And at some point, somebody takes his DNA and I don't need to go into who or to why, but they, they take his DNA because at some point he's either going to die of old age or he's going to die in combat. And we'll say, we'll, to, to sum it up, we'll say the government, quote unquote. The government wants to have his DNA on file so that they can basically mess around with cloning him. Uh, he doesn't really know this, but he gets word of this later. And so there's, there's a project that's created to try to create clones of Big Boss. Because, I mean, why wouldn't you just want clones of, like, the most, yeah. you know, legendary soldier ever made? So the clones that are made are actually, one of them is Solid Snake from Metal Gear 1, Metal Gear 2, Solid Snake, and then Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and 4. Um, another clone that's made is Liquid Snake, who's in Metal Gear Solid 2 and kind of in some ways in Metal Gear Solid 4. Um, and then there's also like a, a third clone that's made 
Solidus snake, <laughs> the pure clone, who is only is only most solid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or is, it right? like, or is it like a Latin Solidus? I don't know. You know, you know what? Knowing this, yeah, we'll say it's Latin. Here's <laughs> a Melager solid too, as well, Scott. Um, okay, where this is already getting out of control. So, okay, so here's the thing, right? Um, so basically, at some point in the game, okay, so here, in Metal Gear 2, no, here's what we're going to do. Right. <laughs> in Metal Gear 1, which came out in the MSX in 1987, Big Boss, who we've talked about, you know, mm -hmm. Big Boss sends his clone son soldier, Solid Snake, to go kill, quote-unquote, himself, Big Boss, <laughs> at the base that he's established, which is called Mother Base slash Outer Heaven. Um, basically, the whole game, as I understand it, in Metal Gear 1, is like Solid Snake having radio communications with Big Boss, uh, who works for the U.S. government at the time, and he's being sent to infiltrate this place called Outer Heaven, so he can take out the guy who's in charge there. Well, it turns out the guy who's in charge there is himself, Big Boss, right? So doesn't make any sense until you play Metal Gear Solid Five, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Because in Metal Gear 2, Solid Snake, that's a canon story about Solid Snake actually being sent, once again, by the U.S. government to go take out Big Boss. So you can imagine people who play these games are like, what? Why is he going to take out the guy that he killed in the first game? <laughs> Why is the government sending him to take out the guy who he killed in the first game who just so happened, like the guy who, who told, who's, he was told by the guy himself to take himself out in the first game, but now the U.S. government saying, no, go take him out again. And like none of this made sense to anybody <laughs> until Metal Gear Solid 5 came out, Scott. Because... <laughs> <laughs> all right sorry so a, a mere 25 years later right 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 this is how crazy it is right and so then all right so metal gear solid one on the playstation is still about this soldier um solid snake who i guess in the lore of this game supposedly solid snake got the bad genes remember that that movie uh twins with uh, arnold schwarzenegger and danny devito <laughs> who could forget <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger got all the good genes and, uh, you know, DeVito got, got all the leftovers and stuff like that. Supposedly, Solid Snake is like the DeVito character in this whole series, with Solidus being the most perfect, Liquid being second best, even though he was lied to and told that he was the crummy parts. He really wasn't. And he was always his whole thing. Uh, they're just trying to inspire him to be better. <laughs> and Yes, right. And so it's kind of like this. <laughs> The whole series is this weird underdog story for the, the second half of it. Um, in, Metal Gear Sol in Metal Gear Solid that came out in the original PlayStation, you have once again Solid Snake, who's clearly a tool at this point, being sent by the U.S. government. He's taken out of retirement by the U.S. government to go to Shadow Moses Island <laughs> to, uh, to stop a, a terrorist threat from launching nuclear weapons at the United States. The terrorist threat is a foxhound. I think it's foxhound unit. It's been for, forever since I played that game, or twin snakes. Um, 
led by Liquid Snake, Revolver Ocelot, who's in all these Metal Gear games. You first see a young Ocelot in Metal Gear Solid 3. He's in Metal Gear Solid 5, is, is even older. Basically, Liquid Snake is demanding the quote-unquote remains of Big Boss in Metal Gear Solid. So you see how, like, again, this stuff is still going full circle. He's saying, you, saying U.S. government, you're going to give us the remains of Big Boss, or we're going to use our walking by pedal nuclear battle tank metal gear rex to launch nukes at you uh, solid snake's got to go stop the nuclear threat and stop like i said psycho mantis vulcan raven liquid snake sniper wolf um probably forgetting some people in there all these like iconic metal gear solid characters like you know first took place in that game all right so get this then metal gear solid 2 takes place i forget how many years in the future i, I want to say like 15 years in the future um and even though people thought that they were going to play the whole game out as Solid Snake, because that's what Kojima made everybody think at the time, <laughs> um, you actually only play the beginning part of that game as Solid Snake. Uh, after the beginning chunk of the PlayStation 2 game, there's like a, a two-year jump in time. And you find out at one point or another early on that you're actually playing as Raiden. Um, Raiden's like a soldier... I forget what his shtick was. He was basically just molded again by like the the, the U.S. government. The, the the plot in Metal Gear Solid Two is is incredibly sci-fi, incredibly complex. I still don't wrap my head around all of it. Um, but the cool thing about that game is like even though you're not playing a Solid Snake, which a lot of people were pissed off about, you're kind of playing alongside Solid Snake the whole time. So there's it's like you're not playing as the legendary soldier, but you're actually getting to see him from, you know, like a like a different perspective. It was a, a really, really interesting game. I really liked it at the time. Um, at this point in the Metal Gear Solid timeline, though, you start getting into AI systems controlling the government. Um, you start getting into, like, well, Metal Gear Solid 1, you get into, like, gene therapy. Like, here's a crazy thing in Metal Gear Solid 1, right? All the soldiers walking around that you're trying to sneak away from in Metal Gear Solid 1 actually are like part big boss. Like they're all, they've all gone through like this gene therapy um, back from when they were doing like cloning projects and, and stuff like that. Uh, so Metal Gear Solid 2 gets like even more into, that's when you start getting into like nanomachines or was it Metal Gear Solid 1 that was nanomachines? You start getting into nanomachines and AI systems and like this crazy future, right? And so then after Metal Gear Solid 2, you have Metal Gear Solid 4, where you actually play a solid snake again. And Metal Gear Solid 4, is an incredible game if you've played all the other games in this series. There's so much ridiculously awesome fan service in that game um, mm. that basically wraps up all of the loose ends in the storyline. Um, you play a solid snake again, and he's old, and he's aging really, really fast. Um, you find out more about like the, the cloning projects and like AI systems that are running the world. Basically, the world of Metal Gear Solid 4 is one. It's, it's like where the world's economy is run on and by war. Uh, war run by governments and private military corporations and stuff like that. You've got like sci-fi looking bipedal uh, machines running amok like, like on, on battlefields and stuff like that. Like stealth technologies everywhere. Uh, riding who you play as in Metal Gear Solid 2 comes back as like a crazy cyborg ninja. Um, a lot of people criticize Metal Gear Solid 4 of being more movie than it was a game. Like it is, mm -hmm. like you, it's one of those games where you'll you'll be playing the game for say like 20 minutes, and you'll hit suddenly like a 45 minute long cutscene 
Um, <laughs> the ending of that game, I forget. It's either like literally forty-five minutes long, or it's or it's like literally ninety minutes long. You you play that game. I mean, you watch that game more than you play it. But like I said, it's you know it's Kojima, man. The, the cinematography is incredible. The writing at that point in the series is like super anime and over the top. Um, and there are so many incredible moments in that game where even if you just played Metal Gear Solid 1 and Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 4 is a blast. Um, and all this said, with all this complicatedness, you kind of have to wonder, why <laughs> should, should I, Scott Hannon, who knows very little about all of this <laughs> insanity, uh, why should I give Metal Gear Solid 5 the time of day, which is pretty much where we're at. Oh, wait, well, it's where we're at aside from uh, I mean, do you mind if I hop into like personal history? You want to hop into personal history with the series? Yeah, you, kind of already, you already said you, you didn't play that much of it. Do you want to elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot to elaborate. You know, I watched our, our mutual friend Garrett play quite a bit of it, and um, when I sat down to play it, it, it just didn't didn't click with me. I remember even trying to play it many years later um, when I, I uh, decided to reinvestigate some of the, the great PlayStation uh, RPGs that came out, like Final Fantasy VII and IX and so forth. Um, yes, oh, somebody lent me a, a copy of Metal Gear Solid. It's like, you seriously have to play this game. And I think, what was it? Was it a three-disc game? It was huge, uh, right? It was, two, it was two discs. It was at least two. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I got through the first disc, and then by the time I got to the second, I just I, I lost the interest in, in pursuing it, and then probably some other stuff came up. Um, Past that, like I said, I dabbled a little bit with the, the second one on PlayStation 2. Um, but yeah, it was just a, never a series that caught my attention that made me feel like I needed to keep playing it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I was completely left behind by everyone else's enthusiasm. What about you? Yeah, I, I started with uh, Metal Gear Solid on, play, on uh, you know, PlayStation 1. Uh, interesting little story that I've got for it. I like I didn't know anything about like the NES games or something like that. I don't th even think I found I, out about those games until I don't know, maybe just like a couple of years ago or something like that. Like yeah, when the Legacy too. Collection came out or something like that. I was like, oh, holy crap! Um, and one day I was sitting there in my bedroom, young Matt, and I popped in one of the uh, the PlayStation Magazine demo discs, and there was what was purely a video trailer for this game called Metal Gear Solid. I thought it sounded really weird at the time. And I remember the video or like the sneak peek was just uh, a shot of like a battle tank rolling up in the snow and shooting like a tank, you know, like a tank, the tank missile out and the missile hitting like the snow and the, the particle effects going everywhere. And like mm -hmm. this character all dressed in gray, jumping back and the camera work was cool. And it was like, it just faded out. And I was like, Okay. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what made me uh, decide to get, like, really pumped to finally try that game out. Um, but I do remember that, like, an issue or two after that, uh, once again, like, PlayStation Magazine, there was finally, like, a playable demo disc for, like, this crazy cinematic game that, like, everybody was talking about. And I went to the software store at the time, and I, and I brought home the magazine. And I opened up the magazine for where the, the demo disc should be, and somebody had ripped open the magazine and took the disc out. <laughs> I, was so, I was freaking heartbroken. I, I literally, I, I traveled all the way to the mall to go get that magazine. And the next day, I forget who drove me, 
but I got a ride to the mall again to return the magazine and just get like one with the demo disc in. Scott, that was one of those demos where kind of like ground zeros. Like there was probably just, there was very little gameplay in it. It was like you, you infiltrate the beginning of the game and then like one little chunk after it where you're like outside and the, the, the infamous scene with like the, uh, the hind hel helicopter um, like taking off and like the two spotlights going over the helipad. And as soon as you crawl in a ventilation shaft there, the, the demo stops. And, but I can't count like how many times I, I play that thing over and over and over again. I started noticing like, uh, it was just like, I was playing with the AI. I was like, Oh, if I get spotted and then I hide, you know, like how long will it take for the snow to cover up my foot tracks before, <coughs> excuse me, you know, before the enemies won't find me anymore. And I was just like, I was just playing with it um, for huh. weeks and weeks before I got that game. And, the, and Metal Gear Solid 1 for me was one of those games that I played it over and over and over again. I, I just, like, I earned all the bonus items you can get at the end of the game, the, the bandana for unlimited ammo, the stealth camouflage. I tried doing perfect runs of the game where I never got spotted once. I don't think I ever achieved that. But, yeah, I absolutely loved it despite, and I don't know how old I would have been at the time, maybe... I can't do the calculation right now. It'll say somewhere between like 15 and 17 years old. And I still didn't understand like how deep that game was. Like I knew it was preaching to me about like mm -hmm. nuclear warfare and, you know, the state of politics and the Cold War and different things like that. The game was kind of like this weird pseudo history lesson that both was and wasn't really history. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't understand things like when you meet the DARPA chief in the game, that the Dar DARPA chief, Donald Anderson, that like, he's not really the DARPA chief that like, he's actually decoy octopus and decoy octopus like took over, um, took over his identity because while Ocelot was interrogating the real DARPA chief, like they killed him. Um, I didn't understand things like that. And then like, like in Metal Gear Solid three, you, you meet like a character who's like your weapon specialist and his name is, uh, it's like Sigint or, or something like that. Um, and you know, and like, that's actually like the young DARPA chief and stuff like that. Like the, the, the series is crazy. Anyways, long story short, I played it since Metal Gear Solid one and I have played each of the games in the series after that. I've kept up to date with it, but it wasn't until Metal Gear Solid five that I actually played one of those games at launch. Um, uh -huh. I actually, like I played Metal Gear Solid two, a few weeks after launch, I played Metal Gear Solid three a couple weeks after launch, and Metal Gear Solid 4, I didn't play on PlayStation 3 until, I don't know, probably a year or two after the game came out. Huh. Yeah, so it's like I've played them all. I would say, like, I'm a fan of the series, but I am not a hardcore super fan. Sure. I'm just a big fan. Right. <laughs> just a regular fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm a regular I'm a regular fan. That's why, I don't know, if there are any super fans listening to this, I probably, you know, I will get chunks of information wrong or will mispronounce things or, you know, fudge up part of the timeline and stuff like that. I'm sorry about that. You know, it's like mm -hmm. we have an outline here sitting in front of it. it is the most broad thing that anybody could possibly imagine. And so <laughs> when I come up with information on this series, it's off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it sounds like the, the history of the story within the game is intricate enough that like you would almost have to be keeping notes as you went along to make sure right. you trace I uh, kept track of all the threads. Yeah, and, and so like leading up to Metal Gear Solid Five for me, because I knew the series was going to go full circle. Um, like I said, I watched Twitch streams of the older games, of the of the original games, to to see what the gameplay was like. Um, 
I went in, I went online and all sorts of like Metal Gear wikis and databases and stuff like that. I read about all the characters that I had never met because I didn't play the games. Um, everything about the timeline, all of the speculation, all the stuff that was super concrete and stuff like that. Um, and so basically everything I didn't know, I filled myself in on. It's like a, a full Metal Gear Solid history lesson. Exactly. And that's, <laughs> that's one of the things that I think is incredible about this series is that like when, when you look up information on it, you can look up information on, yes, the development of the game, the creation of the game and stuff like that. But just like, I don't, I don't know how many games do, you know, it's just like the game has its own lore. It has its own history and not every game, you know, goes into that. Um, yeah, I'm amazed. That, you know? I, I'm amazed that the story has been kept consistent since the first game. That's incredible, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that that's blowing my mind. That's, that's over the course of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games. Yeah. And, and, oh, go on. and, and it's a it's a non-linear, multi-threaded story that it sounds like Kojima has had in mind since the beginning. He he either has or he's a master at retcon. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I think he's a, I think he's a little bit of both because when we get to a just some spoilery Metal Gear Solid Five stuff later on. I'm gonna. I'm curious to see what you think about how he handled making okay. it go full circle. Like, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Let's, let's give it a shot anyway. We're we're at the point now where enough people have. Uh, I won't say beaten. I will say yeah, beaten slash completed Metal Gear Solid Five to where once again he has divided his fan base with what he's done. He's made some people. He's people like me who are on the boat where I'm. Where I'm just like, wow, I can't believe how ridiculously creative this whole this whole project was, this whole story, this whole circle was. And then you've got people who are like, who who think that the ending to Metal Gear Solid Five is the most bullshit thing uh, that he could have ever come up with, and that essentially, you know, he's uh, he's created another Metal Gear Solid Two. You know, with the whole riding with the whole riding thing. If that doesn't give anything away. Um, <laughs> So, I think we I think we're at the point where we should dig into Metal Gear Solid Five, unless uh, sure, okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the lead up to the game, how it was teased, and so forth? Yeah, actually, I do. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. And also, for the record, I'm going to do a thing where we're right now where we're at, or at least where we get in Metal Gear Solid Five. When I write out a description for this thing, for people who really don't give a crap about the uh, the history and me bumbling my way through, you know, x amount of years of Metal Gear history, like. I'll make it so people can just reach this point in the podcast and listen from here on out because I got a feeling this chunk going forward will be a lot more smooth than everything that we've talked about prior <laughs> to this point. Um, yeah, so so the lead up to Metal Gear Solid Five and like Metal Gear Solid Five story is actually split into two games. Um, it's split into Ground Zeroes and Metal Gear Solid Five: uh, The Phantom Pain. And you can play Phantom Pain by itself, but you will get a lot more enjoyment out of it, I think, if you just. If you play Ground Zeroes first, um, but yeah, so which one is that? Ground Zeroes is Metal Gear Solid Five. Ground Zeroes. It's the one that is also on 360, PS3, PC now. You know. Oh, so that was the one that was released like earlier this year. Yeah, it's it's. It was like that that portion pre- of the game. Yeah, it's a chunk of the game that people were ticked off when it had like the the forty dollar price tag when it first launched on the the next gen consoles. It was forty dollars. Um, wow. People were ticked off because you can beat the you know, the main quest in 
like I said, anywhere between say seven minutes and, and 20 minutes with it taking people an hour on average, like $40 is kind of like a steep asking price. But then yeah, you've got people, them. you've got people like me, for example, there, there's side missions you can do in there um, in time trials and all sorts of other stuff. And I think all told, I got about 20 hours out of that game. It's pretty good um, still. Yeah, yeah, so it's not bad. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, anticipation, the anticipation leading up to this game was just, like, crazy. When uh, Kojima first unveiled it, he didn't unveil Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. He, like, unveiled this project with a studio called Moby Dick Studios. And at the, uh, the, the Spike Video Game Awards with Jeff Keighley at the time, he, um, they ran this trailer from a company called Moby Dick Studios, and it was of this guy waking up in a hospital and kind of just fumbling his like half limp body through the hallways of the hospital while psychic children float through the air and men on fire walk the hallways and giant space whales fly through the air at the end. And everybody was like, wow, this looks really crazy, but like, what the heck is it? And, you know, Kojima basically, you know, said like, Oh, we'll have more information on it later. Um, worth noting is that in the trailer like the guy's face like the, the main character's face is all like bandaged up but like people began analyzing this footage mm-hmm. and they said ah the parts of the bandaged face that you can be kind of looks like it could be solid snakes or, or big bosses and like hey this man on fire this man on fire when you pause and you look at him actually looks like a version of Colonel Volgan, who is the main, or like one of the main bad guys in Metal Gear Solid 3, but it looks like a version of Volgan uh, that was never used in the game. Like it was hmm. like a, an outfit that never made it into like the final build of the game. And then some people said like, hey, this floaty kid could hypothetically be a very young psychomantis from Metal Gear Solid 1. And people started piecing all these things together. Um, then... Oh, yeah, and at the time, I should mention, at the end of, like, the Moby's Dick Studio whatever trailer thing, um, the game was just called The Phantom Pain. But there were, like, oh. these little slivers, uh, these lines that were cut out in the Phantom Pain title that people figured when you fill, they figured out that, like, when you fill in the lines, it actually says Metal Gear Solid Five, kind of, like, overlaying the, uh, the, the Phantom Pain. So, like, so people figured it out. Um, the game went through these phases. So like the Moby Dick Studios, you know, like eventually it was unveiled that this game was running in the thing called like the Fox Engine and then from the Fox Engine, blah, blah, blah. Like eventually Kojima was like, yes, you guys were right. It's, it's the, new, the new Metal Gear game and stuff like that. But it, like it never stopped. For like the, the four or five years or however long it was that people waited for the Phantom Pain to come out, it was like Kojima edits every single one of the trailers that's uh, that's put out there, the cinematic trailers. I'm not sure about the oh. gameplay trailers. And so every single time a new trailer comes out, you have people making trailer analysis videos where they basically replay and stop and pause and slow motion every single detail <laughs> of these trailers to try to figure out what the heck is going on in this game ahead of time. And, and I wonder if Kojima loves it or not because... I watched a lot of these like trailer analysis videos leading up to uh, the Phantom Pain. For some reason, I was not afraid that like anything was going to be spoiled or anything like that for me. Sure. Like, how could it be? They they were just yeah. they were fan theories. Um, and some and of it's them, fun to have those ideas in your head as you play the new game. Yeah, yeah. Like I really enjoyed it. And you know, the funny thing was, a lot of the trailers were just like completely 
off the mark and ludicrous. And like Kojima didn't go in any of these directions that some people anticipated he might be going in with bringing the, the, the series full circle. Um, mm-hmm. But there were a couple of observations that were made and then theories that were developed from these very key observations that actually did end up being true. Hmm. Um, and they were really, really big things. Um, <laughs> like massively huge things that like, again, when we go into like the deepest spoiler territory possible, um, had to do with the actual outcome of what this game is actually about. So yeah, massive amount of build up to this game. Uh, should we go cool. into the core of the game? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so as I put here in the outline, the, this game for the first time ever, well, okay, for the rest of this conversation, I'm not going to mention Ground Zeroes. Ground Zeroes was the first time that people got their hands on like this quote-unquote sandbox version of you know the Metal Gear Solid gameplay. It was uh, the first time the game controlled and, and felt like uh, unlike anything that we had ever seen before in like a Metal Gear game. Uh, the Phantom Pain is really... The, the full realization of these ideas that Kojima presented us with in Ground Zero. So from here on out, this is strictly going to be about the Phantom Pain. Uh, I just want people to keep in mind that we had seen a lot of this stuff in Ground Zeroes. Um, in, in the outline here, I, I basically said that this game is like Peace Walker meets Far Cry 3. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so for the first time ever, you have... Uh, essentially, this game is comprised of like two massive sandboxes. You've got the Afghanistan portion of the game, which is, you know, the big desert landscape, uh, and then you have the Africa portion of the game. Uh, it's Africa. It's, it's jungly. It's, it's more muddy. Uh, in Afghanistan, you see, uh, you know, sandstorms uh, is like your, your main weather pattern that'll, you know, come in besides like the, the changing day-night cycle and stuff like that. And then in Africa, you've got the, uh, the, the thunderstorm equivalent. Um, and why I say it's like Far Cry 3 meets Peace Walker is because like in Peace Walker, you're, you're, you're stealthing, you're stealthing, or you can go like full, you can go guns blazing in this game if you want, but if you're stealthy and you're silencing enemies and you're, and you're taking them out with like tranquilizer rounds or, you know, like chokeholds and things like that, um, you can do the Peace Walker thing where you strap a balloon to them and you send them off to your base and you basically you're building your, your private militia ever. Remember at the end of Ground Zeroes, it's like your, your base is destroyed. Everything has been taken away from you. And so if the Phantom Pain is really about waking up uh, from a nine-year-long coma. This game takes place nine years after Ground Zeroes when, uh, huh. for, for now we'll just say, when Snake wakes up in the hospital, like the, the, the video game award trailer show. It's like waking up in the hospital and the hospital's being assaulted. And eventually you get to a point early on in the game where it's like, hey, well, it's time to get revenge, and to get revenge, we need to build this, this army again. Um, and so it's the Peace Walker gameplay of recruiting soldiers and building your base, except unlike Peace Walker, where the game's all built around, you know, like I described it as kind of like a giant spreadsheet, um, you actually have, for the first time, like a physical representation of this, this mother base that you can go back to whenever you want. And it's, you know, like built in the middle of the ocean. And this thing starts off as like a small platform that you can run around on with like, a, you know, like the, the few soldiers that you have at your immediate disposal. And like you go there and the soldiers like salute you and you can, you can practice with them. You can do, uh, um, 
you can you can do like you can practice like your your firearms there and stuff like that. Essentially, what I'm getting at is like the more people you you extract, the more resources in the vir- environment that you extract, whether it's it's diamonds for money, uh, whether it's uh, you know plants that you're going to use for medicine, uh, you you earn fuel and, and minerals and all this stuff, and essentially you 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 buy gear and you make your gear more powerful. You can customize your weapons and your your vehicles and you watch this base build and you get your 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 intel division and your your medical division and your support division and your command division and unlike the spreadsheet that was peace walker it's like this place you can actually drive around on it you can listen mm-hmm. to conversations between uh the soldiers there you go back to it and there's all sorts of like uh you know just kind of like like cutscenes and story progression that's involved in it and so it's like this very tangible physical thing it can be infiltrated by other players um you can go infiltrate other players uh um, other base and stuff like that and so it's just like this 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 very rewarding feeling to watch this thing grow and where the far cry 3 comes into is like you know like far cry 3 you've got like outposts that you that you capture and if you choose a stealthy approach you can do that thing in far cry 3 where you're essentially sitting on a hilltop overlooking the base and you're kind of like scouting out uh, the location ahead of time, and you're and you're marking enemies, and mm-hmm. you know that way when you go into combat, it's kind of like you you know where the enemies are ahead of time, and you've you've developed a, a strategy, you know, a plan of attack, and you can do that same thing in Metal Gear now, where you can sit on that hilltop and you can scan in with your binoculars, and you can mark enemies. Um, except this time, because of like the recruiting system and stuff like that, you can get to the point where not only are you marking enemy locations. But you do this thing where you scan their body, and here's where like some of like the goofy like pure gameness of it comes in. It's like you scan their body, and you can see whether they're an E D C B A S double S blah blah blah. Like essentially, they they're ranked in different categories. You can see ahead of time how good is this soldier's combat prowess? How good of a medic are they? Uh, how good are they as an intel unit or a support unit? And based on those things, you can choose like, hey, that guy's like a prime, that guy's combat, you know, stats are like amazing. Of course, I'm going to go take him back to my base. Because when you take him back to your base um, and he's like really good at combat, he might, he'll, he has the potential to uh, add to say like your, like your combat statistics at your base. So you might extract that guy who's got like a, an A or an S rank in combat. He goes back to your base. You're your combat section of your base levels up. Like literally, I mean like level one, mm-hmm. two, three, you know, beyond 50 and stuff like that. Um, and as you're recruiting and as you're leveling these things up, more things are unlocking. You're unlocking more more, more weapons and gadgets. And, and, and it does this thing where everything you do in the game, every, everything that you, you physically do in the gameplay feeds into a system. And these systems feed into other systems. And you're constantly... You're constantly making things bigger and better and more expansive, whether it's weapons uh, or vehicles or mother base. It's just like, it's just awesome. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. Like I said, so yeah. like you can go in and you can you can. Sounds like there's people. a lot of consequence to what you do. There is, and and yeah. here's the beauty of the game. Like. For the first time ever in a Metal Gear game, Scott, like I was kind of like you, where you know, like I said, obviously, like I love this series and like I keep playing each iteration of it. Um, I kind of never really liked the stealth mechanics in any of the other games, and I sort of just played them because you know, Snake's, Snake's a cool character. Um, 
I really like the storylines and the lore and um, I always liked how Kojima seemed to push technology, like the, the console technology with each iteration. I loved how cinematic these games were, but I never liked getting seen. I was always one of those people. I always felt like if I got seen, like even though it wasn't game over, I always felt like it was like, oh, like I might as well restart. Right. For the first time ever in this game, if you're seen and shit starts hitting the fan. Um, actually, no, let me, let me rephrase this. The game does this thing where if you're seen, it goes into a slow motion mode for you. So an enemy soldier spots you and the exclamation mark goes above his head. The game goes slow motion and it gives you a chunk of time to line up a shot with wherever you want to aim on their body, you know, whether you're taking them out with bullets or you're taking them out with, you know, silencing tranquilizers. And it, and it gives you a moment, a moment to, to remedy having been seen. So he sees you slow motion, pop him in the head with a tranquilizer and he goes to sleep and the alarms are not set off. Now, whether or not the thud of his body hitting the ground, you know, <laughs> makes another soldier who's, you know, semi-close by go, what was that? You know, and like right. walk over to where he thinks the sound was or not. Um, you know, that's another story. That's where the game get, gets really cool. So, okay, so you silence this guy. His, his body makes a thud sound. A soldier in a building close by, like, here's the sound. Um, sometimes he'll just go inspect it by himself. Sometimes he'll say, like, HQ, I heard a funny sound. You know, let's tighten up security. Um, HQ will be like, yeah, you, you know, do a patrol, you know, make sure nothing's going on. And so the next thing you know, you're either um, putting, the, you know, picking up this body. You don't have to, like, drag guys across the ground like you did in the old Metal Gear uh, games. That was, like, really clunky. You pick them up, you put them over your shoulder. You can either run and stuff, you know, it's like you're, do I, do I quietly try to, like, sneak away and just, you know, leave no evidence of, like, what I just did? Do I dump this guy in a, in a dumpster? Do I leave the mm -hmm. body there? hide in the dumpster myself, wait for his buddy to come around the corner, get spooked by the body, and then do I pop out of the dumpster and then grab that guy into the dumpster with me? Like, there, <laughs> there's, like, an infinite amount of things you can do because of the attention of detail that they have put into the sandbox. And this is where, in my mind, like, it eclipses games like Far Cry 3. Don't get me wrong, I love Far Cry 3, and I think it's a fantastic game. And, you know, you can stand on the mountain and you can scope things out, um... You can go in silently and do, like, the cool, like, knife stealth kill combos, or you can choose to, you know, snipe the, the door on the tiger cage and have the tiger, you know, like, run out and basically uh, take out the base for you or, you know, at least create chaos so you can still go in, like, stealthy and do things. But sure. the artificial intelligence, like, systems that they've built in Metal Gear Solid Five are so, I guess you could say, smart and diverse in the AI's approach to trying to figure out where you are and what's going on, that you, you, you truly believe that it's this game of, of cat and mouse. Um, where, like, you know, like I said, like it's all, it's line of sight base, it's sound base, but it's, you know, they, they radio back to HQ, but then you can do things like, all right, like I'm, I'm going to basically go in as stealthy as I can, but if crap gets crazy, you can, you know, sneak around the base ahead of time and you can plant... Uh, C4 on their satellite dishes um, hmm. and you can make it so like if you're spotted and they try to radio uh, HQ I say, keep saying CQ I, I think I'm thinking of like command quarters or whatever like we'll say HQ headquarters um, you can just like detonate the C4 uh, which makes it so like they can't send like radio signals out to like come and you know get reinforcements and things like that um, nice. 
you can put C4 on like the, the, the even bigger satellite dish that's often at like the bigger bases. And so like if you need a helicopter extraction, and they don't have air radar, so your helicopter can get closer. You can make all of these decisions ahead of time. Um, like th there's things, Scott, like for example, I was listening, uh, I think it was Giant, Giant Bomb's podcast, uh, and they were talking about somebody figured out there's this thing in the game, and I thought it was really goofy at first, where um, sometimes you'll um, you find cassette tapes in this game, and the cassette tapes will be everything from like Intel files, you know, uh, mission uh, briefings, um, but you find some like goofy ones where it's like the sound of a guy going to the bathroom, uh, the sign of a, or the, the audio tape of a soldier saying something like uh, HQ, everything is fine, blah, blah, blah. And I was playing around in the game's menu system and I was playing these cassette tapes like you can in the, the menu system. And you do all of this in real time. You, you pull out this device called an iDroid and you can tinker with like maps and mission briefing info like all in real time. It's like the, you know, the sun's going. iDroid? Yeah, it's called an iDroid. Like, right? <laughs> like the combination of like both things. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, and I found this button on the iDroid uh, that I didn't really understand at first. And it's like a button where um, you can choose to listen to these briefings as... Uh, as Snake slash Big Boss would hear them in his headset, like in his earpiece, or you could choose to play them as if they're coming out of the little speaker hmm. of the uh, of the the walk of the iDroid dev device. And somebody on this podcast that I was listening to pointed out that the things that you think are stupid are actually not so stupid. So if you're seen by the enemy, um, but you know HQ is sending reinforcements and stuff like that. And in the meantime, you know, while they're sending reinforcements, you manage to actually take out the rest of the base, whether it's stealthy or not. You can actually play the speaker version of like HQ, everything's fine on your iDroid. And like HQ will be like, oh, everything's fine. Okay, we're calling back the reinforcements. You can hide in porta potties oh. in this game, Scott. And you can be sitting in the porta potty. And if the enemy's looking around for you, or heck, if, if one of the soldiers randomly is going to go into the bathroom to use it, and you can play the, the sound of, like, the farting soldier off of your iDroid, and, like, he'll walk up to it and be like, oh, somebody's in here, you know, going to the bathroom. And he'll, like, leave. You can do all sorts of crazy, ridiculous things <laughs> in this game that, like, people are still figuring out all of, like, these little, call them Easter eggs, if you will, that actually sure. have, like, effects on the gameplay. Somebody recently today I was listening said that these tapes of, like, HQ, everything's fine, or, like, pooping sounds and stuff like that, because you're playing them back on cassette tape, if you try doing that stuff too often, you actually run out the amount of it's uses really on your... You wear you the wear tape the Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> Much like the silencer on a pistol, your cassette tapes will wear out after a while. Like... <laughs> The attention to detail in this game is is stunning. I mean, it doesn't stop there. Like the the day night cycle is incredible. The Fox engine in general, the way that it handles lighting, is breathtaking. You know, whether it's it's high noon or you know deep at nighttime. Um, like I said, weather. You know, sandstorms. Like enemies can't see you in sandstorms. If it's raining, if it's a thunderstorm and stuff like that, their visibility will be cut. Um, you know, and it makes it so they can't hear your footsteps. As much as just like every every single Question. thing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as far as the weather is concerned, do you have the ability to pay attention to weather forecasts? Yes, um, not so. You like you could plan a raid on a base during a sandstorm. 
Yes, but here's how it works. Like you don't have, you don't have an hourly forecast or you don't, you know, you can't look ahead at the weather, but you eventually, you get the ability, you, it's one of those things that's not given to you. You earn it. You, I, I forget if it's your support team or your Intel team. I think it's your Intel team. You eventually earn the ability to have them forecast you on weather. And they'll suddenly you'll get like a message on your iDroid and it'll be audio and it'll say like, um, you know, attention, sandstorm approaching. And then like mm-hmm. a couple minutes later, the sandstorm will hit. So if you're hiding in a porta potty or a dumpster or just in bushes or under a bed in a building or wherever it is that you are, you know that in a couple minutes, you're going to have one of those moments where visibility is going to be cut, their audio capabilities, you know, the, the, the enemy's ability to hear you is going to be cut and you have everybody marked. And so you can just go through that base like a stealth assassin with your, your night vision goggles on or, you know, whatever time it is during a sandstorm and just do business like you might not have been able to do, especially if you're trying to infiltrate, you know, during the day, you might have been yeah. struggling more than you anticipated and that sandstorm will change everything. And like, they're not idiots. It's not like, oh, there's a sandstorm there that, you know, it's the enemies are completely oblivious to like everything you're doing. It's like, no, mm-hmm. if you're still being loud, they're going to know. If you still get too close to them and you're, you're walking up to their face, like they're going to see you and be like, what's that? Or, you know, whatever version of, of, of alertness, you know, the game feels is like appropriate. But, um, and then dude, later on in the game when you're, I don't know if it's your, your, what division it is of your mother base, but one of them gets high enough to the point where, you can you get weather manipulation tools. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I haven't tried causing a rainstorm in Afghanistan yet. Like, I because it won't rain there on its own. Right. Um, so I don't know if they react to you know like what the heck is going on? Why is it raining? Right. But essentially, it's one of those games that ramps up, and everything that's hard for you early on in the game becomes a little bit more easy. And a little bit more easy, and a little bit more easy, whether it's more slow motion reaction time that you've earned or your suppressors on your weapons, you know, um, don't degrade as fast or you flat out just get tons of weapons that you didn't have access to later on. So it's one of those games where early on, maybe you're making it through a mission with like a, you know, like an E, D or C rating and you're not doing that good, but you attempt to tackle those same missions uh, later on in the game, and you have all sorts of like tools and resources that you never had before. Maybe you don't have C4 in the beginning, you know, but you finally get it. So you can, you know, do that thing, like I said, like plant it wherever you want it. I mean, you don't even have to, you don't even have to plant C4 like on um, like satellite dishes and stuff like that. Like if you want to, if you're on the outskirts of a base, leave C4 right there if you want. And if you, if you're infiltrating and like the enemy's onto you too much um, in whatever form that takes, detonate the C4 out in the field yeah. and there's a good chance they'll hear it and they'll just go on patrol out there and give you yeah. free reign of the base. There's so many things you can do. It's like, it's one of those sandboxes where basically the game never tells you no. Interesting. Yeah. The game never says, no, you can't do that. It, it, it's, it's really mind-boggling at first, and one of the reasons why it's so easy to fall in love with its brand of, of stealth and action. But here's the other cool thing that they did, right? Is they give you all sorts of, like, missile launchers and grenade launchers and assault rifles, and um, you get, like, a, a heavy damage-resistance flak jacket that you can put on. And if you want to land your helicopter in the middle of that base 
have the helicopter firing missiles. And if you want to sit on that, the Gatling gun on the side of it and jump out of the helicopter, take out all the soldiers and run into, um, run into their base and extract the prisoner that you set off to get, you can do that. And like, yeah, you're going to get docked points for killing soldiers instead of being stealth or instead of tranquilizing them. And you're not going to give yourself the opportunity to potentially, you know, extract high ranking soldiers and stuff like that. But the game rewards you so highly for doing things quickly that you can still S rank or A rank missions that way. It's really cool. Huh. Yeah. So for the first time ever in a Metal Gear game, there are benefits to going stealth. Like I said, Fulton extraction and things like that. You're building your base by, by not killing guys. You know, you're building up your army, but if you just had it up to here with stealth and you want to go play <laughs> around and run Jeeps in the buildings and put C4 on stuff and go in with missile launchers and grenade launchers, even if it's to complete, you know, what could otherwise be a stealthy mission, the game lets you do it and it doesn't heavily penalize you for it. Hmm. It's interesting because one of the, yeah. I've been trying to think of like how Metal Gear works as a sandbox game. Um, and, you know, my, my major limitations being that I don't know the Metal Gear series very well, but yeah. thinking of the limitations of other sandbox games, games like Skyrim or even Grand Theft Auto, these are games that have created worlds that don't necessarily react in complex ways to you, and nor can you interact with them in complex ways. Um, oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, and so what it sounds like you're saying is that Metal Gear is at least a, a solid uh, step in that direction. Hmm. Um in that, it, it, like you said, the game doesn't say no to you necessarily, which is, of course, technically impossible, but it at least opens up more avenues that previous games didn't allow. Like, I remember back in the day when Fable came out and how disappointed I was at how limited the game was. Not only was it not a world that you could run around anywhere you wanted, but the game had dedicated paths through forests that you couldn't veer off of. And yeah. this was post Morrowind, you know? Right, right. And so it was so frustrating to have been told that this game was going to be this open world, you know, morally ambiguous game that was going to allow you to make all these decisions. And the game, at the very end, really railroads you. You, you not only can't choose your missions anymore, but or you not only can't run where you right. need to go anymore, but you can't even choose your missions. Um, oh, you actually, I don't know, if, if you... I can piggyback you right now and kind of segue yeah. into how that works in Metal Gear. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so there there are there's a there are free there's a free roam mode in the game where you can just you know like I said run around you can explore. There's actually not that much to explore in the game um, outside of the bases. Like sometimes you'll you'll see enemies patrolling or driving trucks and stuff like that. There's some wildlife. Um, if you Fulton extract enough wildlife in the game, you get to the point where you actually build a zoo, <laughs> <laughs> and then you can go to your zoo. And uh, you can see all your, your animals and stuff there. And it's got kind of awesome. like, um, like a Far Cry system where there's like rare animals in the game that you, can, uh, sure. that you can capture and stuff like that. Anyways, point being that you can free roam in the game whenever you want. And while you're free roaming, there's like li literally over 100 side ops that you can, uh, you can eventually tackle. Everything from, um, it's usually like prisoner extraction, um, or assassination requests, and even then with the assassination requests, you don't have to assassinate, you can extract. Um, and then you just lie to the client, tell him that the guy's dead, but he's not. Um, <laughs> um, 
Point being that while you're free roaming, you can take on side quests. And at any point, you can go on your iDroid, and you can say, I want to do one of these main missions, which are highlighted in yellow, so you know which ones are like the main story content. And you can just say, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, this main story mission on. And then in your map, you'll get a, like a radius marker for like, okay, I got to go over here and I'm going to do some main story content. And then what you do is you find like, let's say you're, you're exploring like the, the Afghan desert and stuff like that. You'll actually find, uh, it's kind of like a, you find a device that you basically plug your iDroid into and you get your mission, your mission briefing there. And then you, you suddenly you'll, you'll start the main mission, you know? Um, as opposed to, and that's how you do it in like the free roaming mode. But if you were at mother base and you said, I'm going to do a main mission, what you would do is you're at mother base. You'd say, okay, helicopter, come down, pick me up. And the helicopter comes down and you hop in it and you go to like the helicopter version of your mobile operating base. Um, and from the helicopter, you'd say, I want to go into a main mission. And so, okay, you click on the main mission and you click on the main mission and you tell the helicopter, okay, uh, drop me say, in one of three locations. You choose where you're going to get dropped in the helicopter. And, the hel you know, there's a little, little scene, the helicopter drops you off, and you get your mission briefing and stuff like that, and you start the mission that way. So it's like you can start the mission manually from mother base, from your helicopter, or while you're free roaming, you can just choose where you want to go next and what mission mm. you're going to take on. And, you know, during the missions, kind of like, like classic Metal Gear, um, some of the missions are bigger than other missions. Some of like the main missions are really, really huge story plot twisty missions, and some of them are kind of they're they're a little bit lighter on story, and they're more kind of like story progression missions. And so sometimes before or after after a mission, you'll get one of like Kojima's infamous. Uh, none of them are really long in this game. We'll say like a short to medium length cutscene that's giving you like storyline exposition. Uh, not all the missions do that, but. That stuff still exists in the game. Um, I thought that there was a healthy amount of like Kojima's cool cinematic uh, cutscene story things going on. I think uh, I've been hearing around online that a lot of Metal Gear fans are kind of disappointed that there's not more of that kind of stuff. But I feel like <laughs> you can't well, win. Huh? Well, here's the thing. Here's the difference between this game, right? It's like okay, let's say Metal Gear Solid One. Let's just. I'm not sure how long you can beat that game, and I'm pretty sure you can beat that game in like four or five hours if you want to run through it. But, you know, like for the average person, that's probably like a 15-hour game. Sure. And in that 15-hour games, 15-hour game, you have, I don't know, let's say five hours of gameplay, you know, with like 10 hours of, of codec conversations and or cinematic cutscenes. Um, whereas like yeah. this game, it's like reversed. You, instead of listening to codec cutscenes, you can be running around the game, the game world, and like tranquilizing enemies and, and full-time Fultoning enemies back to your base and gathering resources and stuff like that while you're listening to a 10-minute-long codec uh, mm. conversation in your headset. And the game will do that thing where it kind of, like, it doesn't mute, but it lowers a lot of, like, the gunshot sounds and, like, the ambient volume and stuff like that. So you can hear the conversation that's going on in your head. So the game doesn't pause to give you that kind of exposition, which is all optional. Yeah. Um, and, like, for example, I would say that this game still has still has a few hours of cinematic cutscenes. It's just that, like, for example, for me, there, those three hours are spread across, and I'm rounding, I don't know, it could be a little bit more, it could be a little bit less, I'd say at least three hours. Um, you know, it, it's spread across 90, 90 minutes. 
And so that means that, or not 90 minutes, I'm sorry, 90 hours. Right. So three hours of cutscenes and 87 hours of gameplay. It's mm-hmm. way different than it used to be. But you know what I'm saying is like that, yeah, there's probably, it's just that there's, there's probably about as many hours of cinematic cutscenes in this game as there have been in all of the, you know, the other, the Metal Gear games by themselves. It's just that there's so much more gameplay here than there has ever been that it sort of eclipses the cutscenes quite often. Um, the, the extreme counter to this being Metal Gear Solid 4. It's almost like the, the games are opposites, you know? Right. Whereas, like, well, and- Metal Gear Solid 4 had, I don't know, probably, like, 11 hours of cutscenes, you know? Gosh, I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, Metal Gear Solid 5 sounds like it has the better balance. Um, one of the complaints a friend of mine has about uh, this, like, overusage of uh, cutscenes is that you're essentially playing a video game to be re- rewarded with a movie. Yeah. And, and that's not a video game then at that point. You know, you know what's uh, funny, funny about that though is I feel like I have loved that aspect of uh, video games ever since uh, the PlayStation era with the Final Fantasy games. I remember, yeah. you know, like I always loved RPG combat and stuff like that. But one of my favorite parts of every single one of those games, and especially buying a new game, um, was getting to see the next cool cutscene you get to. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think we all enjoyed them at the time as well because it yeah. was a, it was a new aspect of gaming, and unlike the you know quote unquote cutscenes of uh, previous generations of gaming, you know that were just in-game graphics where they take control away from you, and suddenly your character scurries across the screen or whatever. Um, we had something that was more cinematic, more more dynamic visually, and so forth, and. Uh, I think just the trouble is that that got out of control. And then, you know, when, when you look at it the way that my friend Tom uh, describes it, it's, it is weird to think that it, it's like a video game is saying, hey, uh, video games aren't good enough, so we're going to reward you by playing well with a movie, as opposed to we're going to reward you with better gameplay or, or more of this game. Um, and while I, while I don't dislike cutscenes, um, I can, I can see the, the contradiction inherent there, which is, it's like saying, we have to introduce a different art form into this one in order to make this video game a legitimate experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just think that's a, a good perspective to have in order to temper uh, the overusage of cutscenes. So, like, when you say that you've played 90 hours of the game and you've had about three hours of cutscenes, that feels more reasonable than, say, like the, the reviews for uh, Middle Gear 4, where people are saying you watch the game more than you play it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, in the case of Metal Gear Solid 4, which is why I can see why people, you know, people who loved 4 for those, for those 45 minute, you know, like popcorn fests, um, I can see how they'd be upset here just because, uh, I don't know, the, the, the cutscenes in 4 were like like i mentioned earlier they were just full of like you're saying like it's you're not playing metal gear solid for the game you're largely watching metal gear solid for the movie mm-hmm. but if you love those characters and you love that world it's like one of the best movies that you've ever watched 
except every once in a while you get to play it and you get to interact <laughs> with it. Whereas this is Metal Gear Solid, maybe for the first time ever, the game, and it's one of the most fun sandboxes I've ever had the pleasure of exploring and interacting with. And every once in a while, I'm watching a clip of a movie. It's like mm. the opposite. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, that Kojima did again, where he, he divided his fan base, it seems. You know, it's like people who love, love video games and love Metal Gear Solid. I, I think that there's a lot to appreciate here. But those people who are big fans of Metal Gear, the movie, eh, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, th there's some griping that's being done. Yeah. And I can As see always. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean, we've, ta we've talked about the sandbox a little bit and kind of like how the, the systems in the games feed into each other. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I wanted to, to touch on was like the, the buddy system in the game. Uh, do you think it's time to go into that or do you have other questions or you want to hit another beat first? Um, let me ask you a question about the sandbox thing. Maybe this is too yeah. broad of a question before you finish up on these details, but... Um, this is the first of the Metal Gear games that's a, a full sandbox. You mentioned that Ground Zeroes was semi-sandbox, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what? The sound, Ground Zeroes um, was more like a shoebox. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so then, so let's just go ahead and say that Metal Gear Solid Five is the first one that's like sandbox Metal Gear. It is a true sand, yeah. Okay. Um, do you think that this is an appropriate style of game for the Metal Gear series? Oh man, that's a broad question. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. All right. Let me um an appropriate style game for this series. Is that what you asked me? Yeah. I think I think that if this game could if this series could have been anything all along it probably should have been this and that technology is finally at a place um, that allowed this game to, to exist in this form and that it is the most pure form of what this game was trying to, to achieve all along. Like, is that to say that the gameplay movie balance couldn't be a little bit more in favor of the moviness? Like, yeah, I personally, while, while I'm not upset with the amount of, cutscenes that were in this game, I could have done with a little bit more. Once again, they were some of my favorite parts of the games were, mm -hmm. which is like watching the, you know, just the amazing cinematography that, that went into a lot of the game scenes and stuff like that. But um, it's an interesting question. Like when you, when you look at the evolution of the series, how we were talking about the, uh, you know, the NES and then the PlayStation and then yeah, like the, the, the PS2 gameplay, even Metal Gear Solid 3, the director's cut was the first time you could control, you had free movement of the can, of the camera, you know, behind Snake's back for the first time and just watching it evolve into this. I think it could not be any more appropriate. Okay. So you touched on something else that I wanted to ask. I was going to hold it for later, but since you touched on it. Um, so if you're thinking this is the most appropriate, um, do you think it's possible that uh, this Metal Gear is the type of Metal Gear that Kojima has always wanted to make? Good and question. just couldn't until recently. 
Yeah, your your mic's actually breaking up a little bit. Do I sound clear to you? You sound fine to me. Okay, you're you're coming through with like a little bit of static, and so for uh-huh. I'm gonna hope it'll clear up as I answer the question. But if anybody couldn't understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, you asked. Wait, what did you ask? <laughs> <laughs> I, I asked. Um, so is this Metal Gear Metal Gear Five now the type of Metal Gear game that Kojima has always wanted to make? Uh, but maybe couldn't until recently because of technological limitations or maybe even just uh, marketplace preferences. Okay. I think, you know what, um, yeah, I I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm pretty sure that at one point or another he's he's made comment about gameplay-wise. He's always dreamed of, of achieving, like, these, you know, the balance of these systems with day-night cycles and you know, the, the enemy's AI and the, the caliber that it is and this idea of infiltrating a base from any angle that you want to, that specifically he's, you know, been thinking about trying to achieve those things for a very long time, that he specifically stated that technology was not at a point where he could achieve that until now. Um, however, and you're still breaking up, so maybe maybe after I finish the point here, is it possible for you to just disconnect and then reconnect with me? I don't know. Am I still breaking up now? Yeah, but um, what I was going to say was that I think the balance of cutscene the gameplay was probably a reaction to the criticisms he received about Metal Gear Solid 4. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you wanna do you wanna try to uh I, I don't even know how you do this, just uh like hang up and then come back? Yeah, I'll I'll try it. Okay, I'll uh, I'll send you I'll send you another invite here in a moment, and then I'll just edit out whatever gap we, you know, whatever gap we cause. Okay, sounds good. Oh wait, wait, wait! Are you there, so? Yeah. Never mind. You're back. You're clear. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have that much open, but I closed a couple of things, so maybe that was all it took. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you're clear now. Okay, good. Also, my internet out here sucks, so that might just be the case. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe you were. You're doing too much Metal Gear research. While yeah. We're <laughs> Actually, I had like three or four pages open, so I closed them. Yeah. So, so did I answer your questions? And that I think that the gameplay was just it was a reaction to the criticisms about the the amount of the length of the cutscenes in four. But that yeah. I'm pretty sure that he stated gameplay wise the idea of infiltrating bases as his characters, you know, from many angles is is an idea that he had for a very long time. And I, I think that yeah, that he's just always done brilliant things with the technologies that he had to, to work on at the time, you know, whether it was the, the MSX, PlayStation 1, PS2, 3, you know, so on and so forth. But um, but then he probably finally just achieved a certain vision for the series that he's had for a very long time. Very cool. That's my interpretation. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds great. Uh, all right, so then what other points? Uh, the buddy system? Is that yeah, what you know, about to next? We, we can gloss over it. Um, but it's like it's it's a big new addition to the game. Like this wasn't even Ground Zeroes. This is new to uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, it's this idea that you meet other characters throughout your journey of this game, and you can bring those characters into the game world with you, and they uh, they change up the gameplay quite a lot. Um, as far as I know, uh, unless there's something that somebody hasn't discovered yet, there, there's four of them that you can have in your, in your party. You can have a character called Didi, or uh, Didi, he's a dog. He's like a, a dog-wolf hybrid of some sort. Uh, nice. And you find, him, you find him when he's a puppy, and at some point in the game's storyline, he, he grows up into a full-fledged adult. Uh, and from a puppy, he's missing an eye also. So when he's like an adult, you can 
you, he has an eye patch. It's awesome. Anyways, <laughs> but they they, like, they they do things for you. I'll go over them. I'll go over their abilities. You meet Quiet. Um, in, she's pretty infamous at this time from people who have watched like the game's trailers and stuff like that. She's like a sniper. You get on your side, and she's got like fishnet leggings and pretty much wearing a, a bra. She's like you know three quarters of the way naked the whole time. <laughs> um, she's like a, she's a sniper. But then you also get you get D horse. And everything is D something besides Quiet because she's just a person. You know like D D D dog. Um, because the, the name of your unit is Diamond Dogs. Um, mm. So you get Dee Dee the dog. You get, I guess the other one, I think it's Dee Walker. You get like a mech um, that one of your, your scientist characters uh, develops for you. So it's like this mech that you hop on that has both legs. So you can use it as like this little walker that you hop on um, to go over terrain. Or like it crouches down and it turns into like, it's got wheels on it. It kind of feels like an RC car when you're driving around in it. But you get to like customize sure. this stuff, right? So like the mech, you can flamethrowers on it, Gatling guns, um, fold and recovery devices. You can put, you know, like stun, like give it electrical powers, all sorts of cool stuff. You also get D horse. It's like this horse that you, you ride around on it. It's like your first buddy companion that you get. And it's basically, uh, the first vehicle that you use to traverse the open desert, you know, like where you've got long stretches of, of land where you just don't want to hike it on foot. Um, and hiking it on foot is pretty incredible sometimes. And the way the, the, the shaky cam is while you're while you're running and stuff like that. They did this thing, Scott, where you're, you're like running and the camera's kind of shaky, like a cameraman's following behind you. Um, huh. But you can also hear the sound of like the wind blowing in the microphone a little bit, and like the boots hitting the sand, and everything sounds amazing. The sound design huh. in this game is incredible. Anyways, you get the horse, you get the the mechanic walker, you get quiet on your side, and you get Didi. Um, the benefits of the horse is you can travel fast. Um, Basically, the horse, you can just, like, travel fast. Um, it does things like you can poop on the road, and if it poops on the road, um, and cars are driving down the road, they, like, spin out, and it's kind of, like, comical and stuff like that. And they're, all, they're all dazed in the car, and you can, you know, like, choose how you want to approach that situation once they're dazed. Uh, the dog's really cool in that, like a dog, he can, he can sniff out ahead of you, like where all of the enemies are in a base or where the prisoner you're trying to extract is. And so all this stuff will show up on your radar without having to actually see it with binoculars. Um, Quiet the Sniper is kind of like similar where you can tell her on the map, like I want you to sit here on this mountain and I want you to like cover me as I infiltrate this base. Or you know you're making your way to the base um, and you can say, go there ahead of time and like scout out all of the enemy positions. But like, unlike the dog who can like see slash sniff, whatever, however you want to describe it through walls and floors and things like that, she can only spot for you what she can see with her own eyes. Um, but like the, the difference is she can, you can do all sorts of cool things with her. You can tell her like if enemies start wearing helmets, this game does this incredible thing, Scott, where like. If you go through a base too many times, tranquilizing guys in the head and extracting them and stuff like that, they'll actually start wearing helmets. Like the next time you go to that base, the guys will actually have helmets on. Or if you use sleeping gas grenades to take them out, they'll start wearing gas masks or any combination of those things. If you go in like guns blazing and just like shoot up the place, they'll start wearing heavy armor. Like the game, I don't want to say it like dynamically reacts to you, but like there are systems. It it makes it so the next time you approach the same place, you will not necessarily be able to do the same tactics to take out the same people. So the guys yeah, that start it prevents, it prevents you from like using a monotonous style of, of, of gameplay. Like, the, yeah, this would be bad news for me because in Far Cry Three, I approached every one of those outposts kind of the same. Yeah, which was you know from a distance, take them out with a bow, drag them away. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't know if you got yeah. windows open again, but you're, you're breaking up a little bit again. No, I haven't changed anything. Oh, weird. Anyways, um, so yeah, so you guys start wearing helmets, and you can tell her, you can say, take aim. She'll take aim on the guy that you're pointing to, and you can tell her, fire. And she'll, like, shoot the helmet off of the guy so that you can then tranquilize him in the head. Like, you can tell you. Oh, cool. Yeah, she does all sorts of cool stuff like that. Um, and the dog's awesome. You can tell the dog, actually, if you want to go with, like, an assault style with the dog, you can put, like, a, like sneaking suit armor on him, and you can tell him to kill guys for you, and he actually has, like, a knife that he holds in his mouth, and he'll actually go and, like, jump and slit guys' throats for you. Or you can do, like, the stun variation of that where, like, you won't kill him, but he'll stun him. Um, you can just tell him, uh, go distract this guy. So he'll, like, go and he'll grab a guy by the arm, and he'll, like, start, like, trying to, you know, tug at his arm or tug his weapon away from him while you sneak up behind him and, like, put him in a chokehold. And I also want to point out that, Another thing you can do to all these enemies, Scott, instead of either choosing to, like, kill them or uh, tranquilize them and, like, fulton them out, when you have them in a chokehold, um, you don't even have to chokehold them, but you can bring up a menu where you can, um, you can say, like, spit it out. You can, you can interrogate them, basically, and they'll be like, there's ammo stashed here, or there's blueprints for a new weapon here, or you can tell them, you know, like, tell me where your friends are. Sometimes they don't cooperate with you, but sometimes they'll be mm. like, we have a patrol here. And it'll highlight like an area where there's going to be, you know, uh, enemies on a map. Um, you can also do a thing where like you don't have to like sneak up behind an enemy and put them in a chokehold to do these things. If you sneak up behind an enemy with like your a weapon drawn on them, uh, you'll like spook the guys and you'll actually, uh, you know, they'll put their weapons down on the ground and they'll put their hands up in the air. And then you can give them like the same commands like, you know, give me this information, blah, blah, blah. Or you can tell them, you know, like get down on the ground and you can. You can do so many things. Like, huh. cool. It's, yeah. So it's it's like it's approach to to stealth. Like again, it's like it's another one of those those layers on there. You can you can put a guy in a chokehold or whatever. You can say call your buddy. You know, if you've got a plan, you know, call this guy over here. Maybe there's a guy like back and forth on patrol who you're not sure how you're going to approach him, and you can have a friend call another guy. And it's just it just gets more and more and more ridiculous the deeper you get into it like all the, the sorts of things that you can do and you can you can also the other thing you can do is if you're mid-mission and you don't have the resources that you want in order to complete a mission the way that you want like maybe you thought you were going in guns blazing and you want to go stealth or vice versa or mm -hmm. like maybe you thought you were gonna you know be you know like more so infiltrating like in a you know like a, a lush forced environment and you realize wow the end of this mission actually has me going to a to like an airport base and like I should have like a different type of camouflage for infiltrating the airport base or like, heck, you know, since I started this mission, it's no longer um, the middle of the day and it's nighttime now. I can use like my sneaking suit. You can go on your iDroid and you can actually have your base airdrop you whatever supplies you want that you don't have, you know, um, and what keeps this from being just like a free game breaking system and stuff like that is like everything that you do in this game, like getting new supplies and stuff like that, it all costs money. You're always yeah. earning money for completing missions or finding diamonds, um, you know, like in the, uh, in the game's world and stuff like that. And so if you want new stealth gear or new weapons or stuff like that, it's going to cost you money. And so you have to balance your budget because if you go into the red, um, like your, the morale of your soldiers back at your base is going to drop. And if morale gets too low, fights break out, um, you know, and soldiers end up going into like sick bay from fighting too much. Some soldiers will flat out lead your base because they're losing confidence in you. And like, is insane. <laughs> hmm. 
Yeah, so there's a whole morale system too. Yeah, a whole morale system. You don't get anything for free in that game. They make you work for everything. That's awesome. Um, yeah, there's a there's a slight there's a slightly similar system in Just Cause Two, um, where you can get uh, like weapon drops essentially. Oh, nice. But you know, it's just based on the money you have, uh, and there's not like a. I imagine so. Like if you're in the middle of this mission, uh, you can't just drop your gear in front of you, like if you're in the middle of the base or something, like you would have to leave the base, otherwise they'll see the helicopter, is that? No, you know what, this is, the, the system is actually pretty stealthy. I have not yet seen the enemies pay attention to it. Um, basically, if you're inside a base uh, and you want to drop it on top of yourself, it'll just land on the roof of wherever you're at. It's like a, it's a crate that you can go get. I've heard that the enemies can actually go get the box that you drop <laughs> like can mm-hmm. actually take your stuff so it pretty much i guess it means that you wasted your money at that point um right. but i think they'll just do it like huh like so basically when you drop a thing it, it comes on a like a parachute but you don't you hear the sound of the airplane flying over but oh, it's okay. so high up that nobody will ever see it um and then like when the parachute gets low enough it kind of like you see like a, a set of sparks go up through like the, the lines of it and it eventually just sets the parachute on fire and it kind of evaporates into nothing. Okay. So it's like your stuff doesn't magically appear inside the base, but the enemies don't say, hey, somebody's dropping supplies here, you know, like uh, go on patrol. Or I haven't seen that happen yet. Okay. okay. Um, I'm trying to think of where we should go next. You brought up Just Cause 2. Um, and while, like, I don't want to, you know, talk, like, too deeply about that game just because I know it's not, you know, like, the topic of the podcast, I will say, from what I've seen of the Just Cause series, um, it's a lot more over the top than Metal oh, Gear's yeah. approach to, you know, sandboxes, for, for better. And I, and I love that that game has its own identity. Actually, one, one of the things I was going to say was that a part of me, for as, as wacky as the Metal Gear game, as the Metal Gear series has been, you know, known for, sorry, let me rephrase this, the Metal <laughs> Gear series has always been known for a certain level of wackiness. You know, like I said, there's you get fart noises on your cassette tapes, the horse will poo in the road, and the car will spin on it if it, if it hits the pile. Um, you know, there is, you know, you're, you're running around in a cardboard box. Uh, you can <laughs> right, put, like, right. Uh, pictures of scantily clad ladies on the outside of the, the cardboard box in this game and, like, stand up, and the soldiers will walk past it and be intrigued by it, you know, and you can, like, reach out and, and grab them and do all sorts of goofy stuff. But in regards to the the larger version of the sandbox, the the trees and the forests and the mountains and being able to drive vehicles from point A to point B through these places and call in helicopters and things like that. I do wish that there was just a little bit more just cause in it. Like I wish you could do cool things like start your mission, um, jumping out of a helicopter, you know, and like parachuting into bases. Um, the, the Fox engine has a really great physics engine, you know, built into it that you, you know, that you see when you're, when you, when you're blowing up stuff and, you know, the physics for the vehicles and stuff like that. And I, and I kind of, and you can, you can get creative with how you, you use a lot of it. And it's awesome to be, you know, driving a Jeep at top speed um, and then jumping out of it and watching like snake roll across the ground and, and the Jeep is like still going and you can line it up so that you hit like an explosive barrel, which takes out like a guard tower, you know, and you can create, um, you know, chains of chaos like that, but you can't parachute down onto the the peaks of a mountain and snipe from a mile away and 
you know, obviously there's no like coiling objects together and, and playing with, uh, you know, those kinds of systems that Just Cause is, is known for and stuff like that with the, the rubber banding effects with like tying two objects together and stuff like that. Um, and I feel like there's from helicopter to helicopter. To helicopter. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like there's room for, for some, a certain level of that, that goofy awesomeness in that if they had decided to put it into the Phantom Pain, despite the, the serious tone of some of the, the themes in this game, which we haven't even gotten to. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um, I feel like it really would not be out of place. Cool. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I said the word theme, and I said that we haven't talked about it. I'm sure that essays will one day be written about it. Like I said, you wake up nine years after, you know, out of a coma, and, and the game is about is about revenge. It's, you know, once again, like the Metal Gear Solid, it's about, like, war economies and, you know, just, like, the duties of a, of a soldier to himself and his comrades and, you know, versus, you know, governments... Um, and in that story about revenge, it's, you know, once again, it's about nuclear warfare and just kind of like how, how far man, you know, men will go to, or people, how far people will go to, you know, seek revenge and what the repercussions of those sorts of things are. And the storyline is as serious as it's ever been. This is the most, well, you know, and, and Ground Zeroes in that case. Like, there's still some of the, the goofy sci-fi-ness in the game. Um, from, from a reviewer's perspective... I both love and kind of don't like the storyline in this game simultaneously. Um, and here's where, if you want to talk about it, we'll start going into like major spoiler territory. Okay. Okay. And like I said, we could probably talk about the, the story itself for hours upon hours upon hours. So um, some of the things I don't like about the story, right? Sure. Um, I don't like that... So, so there's this character in this game. His name is Skullface. He's literally a man without a face. And so he's Skeletor. <laughs> he's, yeah, he basically he's a modern-day Skeletor that wears a, <laughs> a fedora. He wears some sort of a hat. <laughs> Skeletor. Yeah, Skeletor had a bad, you know, he burnt horrifically at a very young age and taken from his village and stripped of his, you know, whatever native language it was that they were speaking there. I forget wh where his origin was. Um, and at a certain point, I mean, he exists in the back of this series, you find out. He's he's one of these people that back in the, the days of Metal Gear Solid 3, which takes place in, I think it's like the 1960s and stuff like that, when, when S Naked Snake is trying to accomplish all this stuff for the U.S. government, Skullface is one of those people that exists in the shadows of that game that makes sure that everything goes according to plan for Snake. Um, you know, he's got one of those positions or he's got a very thankless job. One of those, yeah. nobody will ever know what you do positions <laughs> in the government. You will never receive a medal for any of this, blah, blah, blah. Um, right. He gets to the point where he's just fed up with all of it. He's fed up with the and this is my generalization of it. I'm sure it goes much deeper than all of this. And even I know it goes much deeper than all of this. But for, this, for the sake of time, he gets fed up with all of this. Um, but when he really thinks about the, the, the origin of where, where he's come from and, and what was done to him, he basically begins to see the United States government and therefore, well, not therefore, but in, in with it, English speakers and like the English language as like this, this plague on, on the rest of the world and just kind of, 
kind of like where you know, kind of like that Matrix thing where like the human beings are locusts, you know, in the grand scheme of everything. Right, right. In this game, it's sort of like virus. yeah, kind of kind of like English is. Um, and he devises this plan to basically discover and engineer these parasites that in the ancient history of mankind are what evolved to give us language to this, you know, to like you, you and I are like sitting here having a, a conversation at some point, our brains along with all of the other crazy biological things that happened to our body got us to the point where we were able to communicate like this. Um, and he, he discovers that there's like these parasites that evolved with us that are basically what gave us language. Um, and he figures out a way to make these parasites mate inside the human body and basically destroy people from the inside out. And he's gone so far as to devise a way that these parasites, that there's like different breeds of these parasites that essentially react and begin mating when they, you know, sort of like they, they begin their mating process when they're, um, they're sort of like reacting to like different languages, you know? And so he, he basically he gets to the point where he can make these parasites wipe out all of everybody who speaks the English language or Spanish or, or Portuguese or, you know, Russian or whatever he wants. And the beginning part of the Phantom Pain is about trailing this guy and figuring out what he's up to. It's alluded to at a certain point in the game that he has discovered a weapon that is going to be more devastating to, to people, to mankind, than nuclear warfare. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, what could it be? Well, it turns out that He's devised a way to make it so that people infect each other and awaken these dormant parasites and that these things will breed and he'll essentially wipe English off the face of the planet, both getting back at the U.S. government for how poorly they've treated him over the years, but also kind of like ridding the world of this, you know, quote unquote, like uh, you know, superpower or whatever we were back in the, uh, the 1980s when this game takes place. You know, basically however the world sees us, it's like English as we know, it will never be the same. And so you, you're un uncovering the mystery of what he's trying to do and how he's trying to achieve it and all of the people that are involved in, in making this a, a reality. And you, you bump into like the, this, I don't know, some guy who's part of a Native American tribe who just discovered the parasites a long time ago. And it's the story is super Metal gear -y. It's like basically, basically, Scott, instead of having nanomachines in Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, and four, we have parasites. Tiny, microscopic, I don't even know if they're microscopic, you know, but tiny yeah. biological things that are destroying us from the inside out. It's basically, technology wasn't at a point where Kojima could say there were nanomachines doing everything, so there's parasites doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the game does this really interesting thing where about halfway through the game, um, in a climactic battle with uh, a Metal Gear unit, um, see, you don't care if I spoil any of this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Go uh, Skull, Skullface ends up dying. You don't even take him out in combat. He dies by getting crushed by all the, the chaos that the, this metal... There, there is a Metal Gear unit in the game, and you, do, you end up destroying it and re retrieving it. Basically, he dies. So Skullface dies, and the credits roll in the game. Um, like a big set of credits. Credits, I forgot to mention this. Every single time you go on a mission and you complete a mission credits roll after you complete that mission. It's really weird and like TV-like. So it's almost like, yeah. It's like, like an you, episode? 
Yeah, exactly. Like you extract the prisoner and got back to the helicopter and the credits roll. I didn't like it. I don't, I don't like that whatsoever. Anyways. Yeah, that sounds really distracting. Yeah, it was incredibly distracting. Um, and credits roll before you go into the main missions also, which I didn't like. So instead of being surprised about like the characters that you're going to meet and run into on like this mission, it's like Skullface's name as like Skullface, you know, hmm. will be in like the beginning of the credits. So then it's like, you know, going into a mission, oh, at some point in this mission, I'm going to meet or see or meet again or run into Skullface. And I was like, that's like spoiling the mission before you go into the mission. I hated that aspect of this game. Yeah. Anyways, about halfway into this game, uh, Skullface dies. And a big chunk of, of movie credits, movie style credits roll. And you get a preview for what is essentially the whole second half or chapter two, as it's known of this game. And chapter two gives you a preview of like a lot of the crazy stuff that, um, is going to happen. And it just kind of like makes you want to play more. Like you almost feel like, Holy crap, this whole arc with skull face, which began in ground zeros has been wrapped up. And yet all of these other storyline threads with all of these, these buddies and these new people and, and quiet and these other companions and, and people, um, that you've met along this journey up to, to Skullface, it's like all this other stuff still has has to get resolved somehow. And it's kind of cool knowing that even though this big chunk of the storyline has been resolved, that there's a bunch of chaos like that's, you know, um, that's about to ensue. And I kind of appreciated like the, the whole preview thing because without it, I would have been like, oh, this is weird. Like, uh, you know, like I've been watching a bunch of like trailers for this game up until this point and the trailer had a bunch of cutscenes for stuff that I hadn't even seen like through this whole Skullface saga. It almost would have been like when a movie will come out and you realize that they cut scenes from that movie that were in the trailer originally. <laughs> like, I heard the Fantastic Four movie recently did that. Like they showed like some scene with like the thing flying out of a helicopter or something like that. And then I don't know, some scene in like the trailer for the new Fantastic Four movie, like was like a really big scene that people were excited for and then didn't even end up being in the film. It would have been like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole second half of this game is about like, yeah, like that, that virus, like those, those parent, not a virus, the, the parasites, parasites, like an, an outbreak, actually happening at your base um actually for a second time not i think of it like this, this game does some crazy thing um what i'm trying to say it does uh it creates a sense of um emergency where like before the whole skull face thing is is settled and whatnot and you're kind of like hot, hot on this trail and learning about the parasites and stuff like that there's actually an outbreak at your base but it's not of like the english language because you're you know as you go through the missions in the game you're abducting soldiers um, from Afghanistan and Russia and who knows where like their origins are and stuff like that. Cause they're like private military uh, soldiers and stuff like that. And so some of the, uh, I forget what it is. One of the, the languages on the base, like the, the, there's a parasite outbreak and stuff like that. And so you actually get to this point where you need to resolve that arc in the game because soldiers who you have um, brought back to your base are actually dying <laughs> like, and not coming back. Like there a lot of the efforts that you've gone through to get some of these people at your base. Like there is actually, you know, they end up in the sick bay and then they die. Do you lose then, the technology that came with them? Yeah. Like your, your rank can go down. Like if you're, if, if too many of your combat, your high level combat guys dies, um, well, you don't lose the, 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 the technology that you developed, but like, okay. If your if your combat rank was at level forty eight and too many of your guys you know die, it'll go down to level forty seven. And what that affects is like um, you can send those guys out on um, 
random missions in the world, there, there's a little, kind of like a spreadsheet version, um, like where you're, hmm, how do I describe this? Like you're given a text-based mission. It says like, we want you to, uh, to send people to protect this VIP. This mission is a, you know, like a high-class mission, rank A. And so you're like, well, send uh, these rank B guys there, and they'll have a 75% chance to complete this mission, earn me this much money and resources, um, and, uh, you know, like there's a chance that 15% of them will die. Like it'll lower. Like if, you're, if you go from like a rank 48 combat to a rank 47 combat, it'll lower your chances of success on those, those other side, uh-huh. side ops. That's cool. Um, I mean, it sucks, yeah. but it's cool. Right, and so this game has a little second chapter, and in the second chapter, you're you're further finding out about characters that you've met, and there's there's this whole thing with like quiet. Um, you have like a big arc with her, um, kind of getting into her a little bit. One of the things that I found was like interesting was that people really cried out when her design was first unveiled as you know being highly uh, you know sexist. Why she's got to be like? Why does she have to be mostly naked and you know, this and that, and people were kind of like, Kojima's a pig, and he is kind of piggish, and all of a sudden, like, he, like, <laughs> he sexualizes women to, like, an extreme in, like, each one of his games. You know, everything from, like, butt shots to, you know, cleavage shots to um, this and that, which is why I thought it was really cool in Metal Gear Solid 3 that he made, like, the boss, the legendary soldier in this grand series of his, um, a fully clothed woman, you know, like, I, I yeah. thought that was really cool. Almost like his way of being like, see, I'm not as much of a pig as you thought, you know, and I think, you know, women are really important and can be powerful and things like that. But so like him creating this quiet character was like going back to the... Yeah, going right the, back to it. Right. But then it, it turns out, right, so the parasites that I previously mentioned in this game storyline, they can be used for all sorts of things besides like destroying people's lungs, you know, from the inside out when they start breeding in your body. Um, they can be used in other sci-fi ways. They, they have like regenerative purposes. They can, um, they, they're used on like this, this XOF elite supernatural unit. They can give guys armor on the outsides of their body and stuff like that. So basically like the, the sci-fi twist that the series has always been known for, it's present. And you find out that, that quiet, um, she had to undergo some of this like parasite therapy because, um, Basically, she, she's almost killed at the, be- at the beginning of the game. I guess I, I don't need to spoil that part of it. And she, her body undergoes like horrible burning and stuff like that. And basically, the Skullface character saves her life by basically using her as a test subject for like a, one of the parasite treatments and stuff like that. And that's why she's able... Have you seen any of the, the footage of her in the trailer, how she can go cloak? She can like cloak her body and um, basically make like her body like disappear at where... She's not just going like stealth camouflage. She can materialize and dematerialize. Hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't seen that. But then, like, because of the way the, the, the parasites work and stuff like that, and like I said, the sci-fi nature of an otherwise very grounded game, um, she doesn't really need to eat food. And so she, like, she photosynthesizes. And she, like, when she drinks, she doesn't need to drink through her mouth. And she, she like, actually drinks through her skin and stuff like that. And who knows, like, how much of that was actually necessary versus how much it was, like, Kojima being, like, that's why this character is naked. Right. She would suffocate. How would she breathe through her body if she had clothing on? And how would she drink the rain or the the shower from the shower of her jail cell that she could totally get out of anytime she wanted to, you know, if she wasn't uh, three-quarters of the way naked? 
Um, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated was you actually, you, you do get a, an outfit option for her later on where, where you can put her in like a, a military uniform. <laughs> like it's kind of cool, you know, because for as much as I'm not opposed, you know, to like certain amounts of, of TNA and stuff, you know, sometimes it's fun. I watch a lot of, yeah. a lot of anime, which can get kind of pervy and stuff like that. And, sure. you know, it's kind of, I was say, you know, the, yeah, you know what? No, I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> I, I was, a little, I'll just say this, like, I wasn't like drooling over her character or anything like that, but I also wasn't one of the people that was offended by it. I was just like, oh, an, an attractive woman companion, which lar- with large breasts that are held back by a tiny bikini. I was like, all right, cool. I'll take you on missions sometimes. You have good sniping capabilities. You know, I still, right. um, when I had the ability to put clothes on her, I did, you know, and I didn't care right. about like, is she suffocating or not? I was like, yeah, <laughs> I can finally play this game and just not feel like a pervert, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, all right, People so walking what walking by like, hey, so who are you bringing on your mission there? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> do you really need a BDSM stripper? <laughs> there were there were a couple of times where like Gina would watch me, you know, like play the game and she was never like offended by it or thought it was weird that like I was playing a game with like this half, you know, naked woman or anything like that. Um, which I thought was cool, but like, I don't know. It just, I felt better when I could put clothes on her. But so right. there's a whole story arc that goes through the, this whole entire game. Unlike, unlike Diamond, you know, DD or Dog, he doesn't have like a story arc. You find him and he grows up and you go on missions with him. Quiet, there is a whole massive story arc that takes place through the whole entire game. And it's what? really, really good. It's really, really badass. It's one of my favorite parts of the game um, is figuring out who she is and what she is and what her relationship with Big Boss is and is going to be. I mean, she gets tortured throughout the storyline of this game as some of the other the people at uh, the base, you know, are trying to figure out uh, what her agenda is. Um, the troops don't like her and all sorts of stuff. And um, essentially, after a really, really incredible scene, which I won't, don't feel the need to, to go in depth about, um, sure. she leaves. She, oh, you know what? I should actually talk about this if we're going to go full-on spoilers. Okay, you ready for this, Scott? So Skullface is dying, right? Mm-hmm. Skullface is dying, and one of the things you find out right before he dies is that he created, or he had three versions of the English strain of the parasite virus in existence. Um, we acquired two of them, and I needed to know where the third one was. And the third one, he says, he says something along the lines of, um, it's closer than you think, or he said, like, it's close to your heart, or, or something like that. It was very kind of cryptic and weird. And you find out that, basically, Quiet's first mission in this game was to get abducted, uh, get captured by Boss, which she did, and... Um, that she was supposed to, infl- you know, go, go back to Mother Base and that she was supposed to essentially unleash the English version of the parasite, um, of the parasites basically infecting all the soldiers there and Big Boss himself, and that her goal was to go there and wipe out uh, your base. <laughs> hmm. Which is crazy. Huge plot twist. So the reason why Quiet is known as Quiet, I don't know if that's a name she gave herself or whatever, but she doesn't speak of the, in the whole entire game up until the very end, um, because basically through all the torture and stuff like that, she never speaks once because 
for one reason or another. And there are little bits. Um, I don't really flat out say why she chose not to. I personally think that she like literally fell in love with the legend of this soldier that is Big Boss. You know, I just think she that thing that's charismatic as hell about him and lets him, you know, recruit soldiers and have them join his cause and all these guys follow him. You know, all that that you know the everything that is the legendary soldier that everybody else has fallen in love with throughout the years. You know, both fans and like you know in the actual canon of the storyline, it it right. struck her. And she basically chooses not to not to destroy us. Um, later on in the game, you find out that the virus actually, or the parasites rather, I keep saying virus, that it actually, it mutates for one reason or another. And she's not entirely sure if it's going to mutate inside her and if it actually is going to infect the soldiers and stuff like that. Um, and so... And this just doesn't happen like by the snap of a finger. There is a very, like I said, towards the end of this very long story arc, she essentially leaves. She leaves your base. She leaves you, and she leaves, and she leaves you a cassette tape behind that basically explains that because the virus is mutated, nothing but poop sounds. <laughs> nothing but poop sounds and quiet goodbye. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> you know, she says she doesn't know what's going to happen, and she can't risk taking everybody out, so she has to go. And Scott, she goes, and when I mean she leaves, she leaves. I didn't know this. I am down. <laughs> I am down a buddy. Oh, you, you just lose a buddy. Her amazing sniperness, which is like this. It becomes this incredible buddy gameplay feature thing. Like you, like I, I personally, I take D Dog with me in most of my missions. Like being able to see enemies through walls becomes invaluable. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's really fun to running around with a dog also. It's just like oh, yeah. panting heavily while you're running through the desert with him. But um, she goes. And people have figured out online that there are certain things you can do with like some sort of like an emblem system in the game that you can wear that basically prevents the game from triggering a mission before the mission you're going to go on where she leaves. You can postpone it. I guess you can't get 100% completion in the game until you go forth, obviously, like with the mission where, where she has to leave and stuff like that. But I didn't know mm -hmm. about any of that. And now she's gone. <laughs> and I'm down a sniper scout. It's really weird. <laughs> but like, okay, so like, here's the thing, right? There, there's that part of me that could be pissed off. That's like, holy crap. Like one of the, not like a major pillar, but one of like the minor pillars of this game's gameplay offering was like this cool sniper that you can do all this stuff with and you know, it was like badass and like, it's almost like that's been ripped away from me without me knowing that it was going to happen. But at the same time, I really, really appreciate how yeah. bold Kojima was with wanting to tell the story of this character entering, entering the game um, from a canon perspective, you know, potentially falling in love with the main character. I thought that she was like a really... I really liked her personality. I really liked everything that she ended up being about and what she stood for and the things that had happened to her and everything that I, that I learned about her. I was just like, wow, what a, you know, despite the, the breasts hanging out everywhere, what a, what a great addition to the, the Metal Gear saga and the fact that he that she complete, disappears. Yeah. The, 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 he wanted to complete her arc like that and that that was going to affect your gameplay and that you weren't just going to develop, you know, like, in other words, there's nothing that I have found in the game or that I have heard anybody else discover that puts another sniper with her capabilities on, on your team. 
is freaking incredible. <laughs> like nice. that she's just gone. Like I cannot believe it. It is so bold yeah. that, that my mind is blown that he had the gall to do that to, to players, you know? And I can see how yeah. some people would be totally pissed off about it, but I personally really appreciate it. Yeah, it's like um, a George R. R. Martin move. It is. It, yeah. It's like really, a major really, character really and is. remove them. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the storyline segment, the, the, the cutscene and gameplay segment that you go through with her that puts her to that point where she leaves, like uh, that whole, we'll say, hour of the game um, is really emotional and really impactful. And I, I thought it was some really great storytelling. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm going to cough here. <laughs> um, for, because we got to wrap this up soon. Anyways, one of the, the game gets a little bit clunky towards the end, towards the, the latter half of the, the game's second chapter. It starts doing this thing where instead of moving forward, it begins moving backwards. And before the game, before the, the game story ends, it starts doing this thing where, let's say, um, I'm just going to throw numbers out there. Let's say uh, mission 56 was a story mission, you know, where you're, consider, you're, you're continuing along with all these things that were hinted at in the chapter two preview and stuff like that, and the canon's moving forward and stuff like that. So that's mission 56 is canon, it's moving forward. Mission 57, like I said, for example, um, is suddenly a harder version of a previous mission you've already gone on. It might be a harder version oh. of, of mission number five where the enemies are on extreme difficulty. Or you might be doing the subsistence, quote-unquote, version of this mission where you don't get to go into the mission with a loadout. You're dropped where the game wants to drop you, and you have to acquire all of your your weapons and your gadgets on site, whether it's you know sneaking in stealthy and you know retrieving your your rifle you know because an enemy soldier because you made an enemy soldier drop it or you found a, a you know whatever you just you find so all your like gadgets random yeah, yeah, limitations exactly. or difficulties in front of you right and i like the that stuff. Already done. and i think it's really fun but i think it's when you start seeing that stuff that you start seeing where kojima productions and konami started butting heads and I don't know if it was budgetary problems or time constraints. I'd assume it was time constraints. I feel like you start seeing some of that because instead of seeing what is up until this point, like one of the most masterfully told open world game stories that I've ever experienced, you start seeing, oh, you start seeing kind of like, a, you know, some of the seams start coming apart yeah. and you start seeing where they started like stitching things together and it almost feels like padding. And I really, really yeah. wish that that padding wasn't in there because, okay, so here's a weird thing, right? After you get to some of these padding missions, um, you still get to missions after them where you're, you're continuing the canon and you're moving the, the game's story forward and stuff like that. And so I really, really don't understand why they didn't just put those padding missions after everything. Yeah. You, you suddenly get to a mission in this game called the truth and i believe you get to the truth you only get to the truth after you do all of the other story missions in the game and all the other story missions of the game are highlighted in yellow like i said you always know when you're going into a, a, a canon progressing mission cool. and when you go on the truth mission essentially what happens is you play the very first mission of the game 
all over again. And what you discover, and I kind of feel bad like spoiling this here, because like if you ever end up playing the game, this is like a huge thing, Scott. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, so what you discover, so, so the, the <laughs> Are you filing your nails? What was that noise? <laughs> oh no, sorry. I was just dusting off my keyboard because I oh, okay. it's a funny noise. All right, so I, I was, I've been like scratching my head and oh okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the game up until this point has you believing that you're playing as the legendary soldier, big boss, who has just woken up after his his nine his nine month long coma and is building his base, and that all this base building is going to eventually lead into Metal Gear 1, which originally came out on the MSX in 1987. What the Truth episode reveals to you is that in one of the cutscenes earlier on in the game, or well, basically at the end of Ground Zeroes and sort of in the, in the beginning of, um, of The Phantom Pain, there's three people in the hospital bed in the end of Ground Zero slash the beginning of the Phantom Pain. You have Kaz Miller, Kaz Harai Miller, who loses an arm and a leg in the explosion on the helicopter. You have Big Boss, who you play as in Ground Zeroes, who almost, almost takes the brunt of, of an explosion to the face and body. And you have the third character, who Kojima was very sneaky about hiding in the helicopter, um, who he was sneaky about hiding in the hospital room. And this third character mm-hmm. is actually the medic who is on the helicopter. The medic takes the blast to the face. And you see it. Once you go back and, and you watch all the footage from Ground Zeroes and Beating a Phantom Pain, you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe he did this. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but at the same time, this you don't really play as Big Boss Theory and Big Boss and you know, um, the real big boss is not the real big boss and blah, 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 was actually one of the fan theories that came from people watching this footage in slow motion. Um, So here's what really happens. In the Truth episode, it's revealed that the real big boss, who doesn't take nearly as much damage to the face as the medic, he wakes up a little bit earlier from a coma. He's, he's also put into a coma from the explosion and stuff like that, but he wakes up before the, uh, the nine-month period of the other guy. And so he wakes up, and he's, you know, he's got all of his, his, his other, you know, Kaz, who is like a military advisor and a really good friend, and you know, some other people are telling him, the world wants you dead. The world wants you dead for you know, keeping nuclear weapons at this base that was destroyed and you, you've got all sorts of enemies and all sorts of governments around the world and stuff like that. And the best thing that we could possibly do for you right now is make everybody think that, um, well, no, I was going to say make everybody think that you're dead. That's not what they did. Uh, the best thing that we could do right here is take this medic guy <laughs> who's received an incredible amount of damage to his face. He like like metal and bone fragments and everything. Like he, for all intents and purposes, should not have survived the explosion, but he did. We should take all the technology that we have right now, plastic surgery and all this other crazy crap, and we should make him look like you. We should essentially take the opportunity to create a body double. Um, and that's what they do. And they, they create a body double of Big Boss and 
they go through all of these like procedures of, I don't know, like some of it's like hypnosis and like all this other stuff that the Metal Gear Solid has always been known for. And they essentially make this body double for all intents and purposes. Um, they, they, they give him mentally, they give him the history of Big Boss and all the missions that he's ever been on and everything that he ever knows. And there's this whole long elaborate process that they're doing subliminally while he's in the coma for the nine months and in this and that. And so that when he wakes up, he, he thinks and he believes that he's, uh, that he's Big Boss. And meanwhile, so, so, so he wakes up. And when he wakes up, you, you know, you, the, the, the player character, you think that you're Big Boss, but really big, but this whole thing is orchestrated by the real Big Boss who's off doing whatever it is that Big Boss really does. He's really building, uh, you know, like his own base elsewhere in the world while you're building this, this mother base and stuff like that. But everybody's in on it. So all of your, your advisors and all the other characters throughout this game who are, you know, giving you advice on missions and, you know, suggestions for the ways to, to tackle problems and things like that, they know. Yeah. And, they're lead, and, they, and they're leading you on. And then, so at the end of this truth episode, not only what they do is do they, you know, reveal the truth uh, of the matter and stuff like that, because they do this cool thing at the, at the beginning of the, uh, of the game when you wake up in the hospital, one of the surgeons is talking to you and stuff like that, and he, he tells you, like, oh, we've got to hide your identity. And so in order to hide your identity, um, uh, you know, we're going to do plastic surgery on you here in a minute, and, like, what do you want to look like? And so you essentially, like create you like create a character face like right then and there um you can make them look like whatever you want and you can name them whatever you want um which is really weird that after you go through this character creation process um that you just end up looking like big boss (laughs) like i never understood why and then like later on the game does this cool thing where he looks at like the real picture of like uh, all of all of the characters in the game standing outside like a helicopter, kind of like a fun buddy buddy military picture, and then you see, um, you know, like Kaz and Ocelot and Big Boss, and then finally they show you the medic character to the right of Big Boss, and it's the character with the face that you created in the character creation uh, tutorial. Oh man, it's so cool, Scott! That's I, I, really I, cool. I, I love it. Yeah, and it's like that moment where you're like, oh my god! Not only this, right, but you. You then realize that while, while you're getting out of the, the hospital, there's, there's two characters in there. there. There's you and your body that's like limp because you just woke up out of like a nine-year-long nine mm-hmm. coma. It's you with like all sorts of adrenaline shot in your body. Um, and you walk out of there with the masked character, the character from the original trailer, you know, that we talked at like back during the, the Moby Dick studio days and stuff like that with his face completely bandaged who you, who you can't see and stuff like that. And that's the real snake. Like, again, kind of like in Metal Gear Solid 2, that's, I mean, the, the real big boss guiding you out of this hospital, making sure you survive the assault on it so that you can go and carry out his name. Like, so it's like, mm-hmm. once again, like the legendary soldier is seeing everything through and seeing that you survive. But during this truth chapter, I forget if you, un- I don't think you uncover a tape. Like once again, another cassette tape or if one of the characters in the games gives you the cassette tape. I, for- I forget how it happens. You essentially, you receive a tape from the real big boss basically telling you everything that they did. All of the, the plans and the backstory and why they did it and why it's important for you to carry on his name, you know, and that like, He's really, really thankful for you to, to go on and carry his name and, 
and give him the opportunity to go do these other things here. You know, and they're letting you know that you're not who you thought you were, but the weight of like the name that you carry is, is incredibly, incredibly important in the canon of this, uh, you know, of this game and like the, the covertness of, of basically this big ruse that he played and stuff like that. And so I thought it was genius, Scott. I thought it was like, like, I couldn't believe it. Like in this way, like Kojima's done this thing where everybody who's playing this game is their own version of the legendary big boss, but none of us are him. He still exists in Kojima's canon doing whatever it is that big boss is really doing in, in the Metal Gear universe, you know, like he still is very much this thing that like is Kojima's where you are your own version of him. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's sort of like this weird psychological thing that Kojima ends up making you do. And some people saw it coming and some people like me, despite watching all of like the, the theory analysis videos and stuff like that, didn't see it coming. And I really, really loved it. I, I really, yeah. really loved what he created and what he did. And, you know, the extent, like, he he spent, like, Kojima spent the past, like, four years telling, telling this little white lie that both is and isn't a white lie. It's a white lie. It's not, like, a really heavy lie. But, right. but then there's people out there. And like I said, you know, like, I, I listen to podcasts about this, you know, like, postmortems on this game and stuff like that. Um, I guess there's some people out there, some fans who are kind of pissed off because they feel like they were led to believe that this game was going to tell the story of the actual big boss and the events leading up to, to Metal Gear 1 on the MSX. Um, and they're angry that the real big boss is out there doing covert real big boss things and that you're essentially playing as not a clone, but a body double. Right. Um, but here's the thing. Here's, here's the brilliance in what Kojima did. Okay. So remember when I said Metal Gear 1 on the MSX and Metal Gear 2 on the MSX didn't make a lot of sense to people because from fans' perspectives at the time, it didn't make sense that this character named Big Boss, was sending Solid Snake to go kill the leader of this, you know, renegade private militia named Big Boss. It didn't make sense that Big Boss was sending Solid Snake, his, his son, his clone, to go kill himself. When really, this, this kind of blows my mind, you find out now that in Metal Gear 1, for whatever reason, and we don't know the answer to these reasons, I think it's because eventually the character that you play as in the Metal Gear Solid, Solid will have, you, you'll probably gain like too much nuclear power or whatever it is, because you get to the point in Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain where you can choose to like develop nuclear weapons and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you can launch them or what that looks like in the game. I, that's actually in my 90 hours. I haven't got to test that out yet. <laughs> but okay, so, so in Metal Gear 1 on the MSX, the real big boss, who you are the body double of, is essentially sending Solid Snake to go kill the body double. <laughs> right. Like, and so you, you discover, like, when you think about the history and the timeline of this game, you're like, oh, my God. 
Solid Snake, who makes it through all of the events of like all, you know, Metal Gear 1 and 2 and Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1 and Metal Gear Solid 2 on the PlayStation 2 and eventually Metal Gear Solid 4 on the PlayStation 3 is the soldier who in the timeline of this game will essentially kill your player character and there's nothing you can do Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's pretty sweet. That is insane. And like I said, there's some people who are really, really pissed off about this. But then you've got people like me who are like, there's nothing else like, like this experience. Like if you've mm-hmm. been on this crazy Kojima ride from, you know, day one or the PlayStation days or whenever it was that you decided to, to jump on his insane storytelling train, the payoff you know, like in my case, it's just like the mind-blowingly awesome, love it thing ever. Or you know, I guess, or or maybe you're angry because Kojima lied to you. <laughs> so, huh? I guess Scott. I mean, we're we're running long. You probably have fifty million questions, which I we we will give you the opportunity to ask. Gosh, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> but 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 ultimately, what I'm saying here, ultimately, what people should know especially if they decided to listen to all of this and like not knowing anything about the Metal Gear games, maybe they're just listening to it because it's entertaining to listen to us talk and rant and, <laughs> and mumble. Um, this game is, a, is an excellent, excellent stealth action game from like a sandboxy gameplay perspective. It's really, really fun extracting enemies, getting them on your base, watching all of these systems level up and evolve and Weapons get more powerful and changing camo. And, like, the game part of this game is awesome. Um, could it be better in certain areas? Yes. Could it be a little bit more Just Cause? Yes. Could it be a little bit more Far Cry 3 in all of the improvements that they made to, to Far Cry 3 over the years? You know, more more base patrols and, you know, certain, like, like more things to do in, in the sandbox in between outposts and stuff like that? Yes. But what's there is incredibly fun to play with. It's incredibly detailed. The level of detail is on a is on a is of a scale that you kind of just need to experience for yourself. You know, whether it's the environments themselves or how fantastic the AI responds to all of the things that you decide to try out and do within the world. Um, so, as a stealth action game, it deserves to be played. Whether whether you give a shit about all of this this storyline stuff or not. Because the gameplay itself is solid. The gameplay itself is solid. And at its heart, this is a tale of revenge. This is as far as the main character of the story is concerned for 99% of this game. This is a story of a man who lost everything, including literally limbs, you know, a limb. (laughs) you know, has bone hanging out of his face, you know, and had to, you know, get surgery and stuff like that to cover up all this. He had scars all over his face and all this stuff. It's a man who had everything taken by him and was willing to go through, you know, you know, whatever it took, you know, kidnapping soldiers and, you know, and doing all this other stuff to, to build up his power to where it once was so that he could extract revenge, you know, on the person who you know, took everything from him. And that story is totally there. That revenge tale is totally intact. Whether or not 
you like that it goes into the area of like, you know, parasites, you know, essentially organic nanomachines and all sorts of like crazy crap is, you know, it's love or hate it, take it or leave it. I personally wasn't really a big fan of it. Um, but like all of that's there also, you know, for people who just want this basic tale of revenge, it's there, you know, which is why it's hard not to just flat out recommend the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds like it's a game that you can, it's multifaceted enough where you, you know, a great number of people can find something that they like about it enough to keep playing. Exactly. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a game for people who have never played a Metal Gear Solid game. And I feel like more than anything, it's a game that was made for fans of the Metal Gear Solid series. You know what I mean? Cool. It succeeds on both levels. Nice. Yeah. So. Would you say this is your favorite Metal Gear game? Oh, man. That's a, that's a really hard question for me to answer. Mostly because I've got such deep ties to Metal Gear Solid 1 on the on the PlayStation. You know, like mm-hmm. the, the Twin Snakes re- remake and stuff like that is really great too. That it, to me, it comes down between Metal Gear Solid 1 on the PlayStation versus this game. I mean, this game's gameplay, hands down, is, um, you know, the, the best the series has ever seen. Without a doubt, gameplay-wise, this game eclipses everything else Kojima's ever attempted to do with the series. It's just that the, the first PlayStation game is so iconic in terms yeah. of, like, you know, the boss battles and the, and the storyline. Um, it also tells a really great self-contained story. Like, Metal Gear Solid Five's story as a, as a self-contained story, as a self-contained tale of revenge, I feel like is nowhere near the self-contained story that was told in Metal Gear Solid 1. Um, and so for those reasons, I, I right now I've just got to tie, I've got to tie them, you know? I, I like them both the same, but kind of for like the opposite reasons where I love Metal Gear Solid 1's storyline and Metal Gear Solid Phantom Pain's gameplay. Nice. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and I won't, I won't drone out about this anymore. That's it. You know what? The, the more I play Phantom Pain or maybe I need to go play Metal Gear Solid 1 again or something like that because, like I said, what, the way the story came full circle... To me, it's like, it's creative genius, you know? So, in those regards, I do really, really like the Phantom Pain storyline. So, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Time, time will tell. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll give it another five years and see where we're at. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. How does, cool. um, I was going to ask for you, like, how does, I know you're saying, like, you don't even know where to begin with, like, a lot of the questions and stuff like that, and. You know, I, I fumbled my way through the, the game's history and stuff like that. But as somebody who appreciates both, the, you know, the, the video game medium and film and books and just, like, st- great storytelling in general, like, how does the things that I've described to you, like, how do they sound? What, is it, what does it make you feel? Does it make you want to play it? Does it make you want to read up on it? Like, what you know, where does it put you? Yeah, um... At the moment, it's reminding me of the Paranormal Activity series. Oh, interesting. Um, have you seen those movies? I, I'm only going to talk. I'm only talking. Okay, I'm only talking about the first four because I think there's like a, a pseudo fifth and maybe even a pseudo sixth. I don't remember. Um, the 
the movies themselves um, have bits and pieces of brilliance in them. You know, the, the first movie had that static camera setup, which was a great idea. Um, and when stuff got scary in that movie, it was legitimately scary. Um, but, you know, it took forever for that to happen. There's a lot of boring conversation in between. You know, it, like, overall, the experience was kind of eh. Um, and each one of the movies is kind of the same, but they, they change the gimmick each time. You know, the first time it's the camera. The second time it's like a... Uh, it's a camera that the guy bought the second one it's uh, like a baby camera or something like a house security camera and then the third time it's uh, a video camera that he sets up on a uh, an oscillating fan and so the camera pans back and forth and so it, you know of course what happens is the camera shows one portion of the room nothing there turns away comes back and there's something there right yeah and it, and it plays with that pretty brilliantly and then the fourth one it's a webcam um so you know they, they just put a little turn of the screw regarding the gimmick each time and it's inventive and it's fun in that respect and they get decent scares out of it. Um, but what's really fascinating about the paranormal activity movies uh, is the mythology behind it and the story of these sisters who are continually haunted throughout the course of their lives and the way it affects their families over the course of their lives. Um, and so if you decide to sit down and go to Wikipedia and read about the story behind yeah. paranormal activity, it's pretty cool. Um, and I'm getting the same feeling from Metal Gear Solid. Like, I'm not going to go back and play 11 games. Right, right. <laughs> but I am really interested to see this, this bizarre, you know, multi-threaded, um, self-referencing, self, you know, uh, retconning, fourth wall breaking, <laughs> fourth wall breaking, uh, <laughs> epic that Kojima is, has been weaving over the past thirty years. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm particularly interested in. You know, you mentioned the the language thing, and as well, uh, nuclear power, and um, I, it's maybe an easy comparison, but it, it, I just can't help but think about, um, uh, you know, the, the nuclear bombs at the end of World War II. And the way, like, Japan had a, a, a massive emotional reaction to those, and of course they should. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we got the Godzilla series out of it, and there are a number of, uh, you know, Japanese, you know, the, the, there's, considerable amount of Japanese art that directly or indirectly deals with that, the fallout haha, of those bombs. Uh -huh. And you mentioned that they're treating English as though it's a virus and, or, you know, because it's a parasite or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what happened after World War II is after those bombs, we sent troops over there and they came in. And here's the thing that I found out uh, previous to our then occupation of parts of Japan post-World War II, a lot of Japanese cities didn't have names on their streets. They had this weird other form of address management that mm -hmm. didn't make any sense to the Americans. So yeah. when the American soldiers showed up, showed up, they came and put street names on all the streets. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so if we're talking about English spreading like a parasite, yeah. um, you know, I was told that when the, the American soldiers left, the Japanese went and tore all those signs back down because they didn't like them. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how much of this 
of this story is inspired by post-World War II reaction. I'm wondering how much of the story is a post-World War II reaction um, in a really elaborate, detached sense. Mm -hmm. um, but I would need to read up more on the story itself and and where Kojima's perspective lies and things like that. But I'm, yeah, it's, it's very it's very interesting to think about. Actually, now you mentioned that I I have always suspected <laughs> that like I don't know how I word this. Uh, I don't know that I guess like a, a part of Kojima for some reason always felt a certain level, and that level I I don't know like how deep it is, but just like a certain amount of like disdain for like the West and, and mm -hmm. maybe America um, in particular. And when I was playing this game, and like I said, this game, just despite this, the sci-fi, you know, you know, the, the parasites and causing armor and dematerialization of like quiet body, And like, despite the, the goofy sci-fi-ness of this game, it is the most serious Metal Gear game that he's ever made. Um, yes. And more than ever while playing this game, like I got that vibe, kind of like you're saying, like it, the whole thing with like language and everything that he was just kind of not being as subtle as he mm -hmm. used to be. And then especially, as I kind of mentioned earlier, when you meet uh, the character, his name is Code Talker, and he's a Native American tribe, um, or he's of Native American descent, I, and I forget his... Uh, his tribe's name and stuff like that. And he basically goes along with the whole plot of like, you know, researching the, the parasites and this and that, because, you know, it's like the, the threat of the rest of his tribe being wiped out and stuff like that. It's just the fact that like Kojima chose a native American character for that, like vital role of like developing the parasites and stuff like that in this game. I felt like it was another one of those things that wasn't so subtle of like, you know, like I'm sitting there playing it and like can't help but be like, oh yeah, remember when uh, like our ancestors like came here and we like, you know, stole these lands in language right. and stuff like that and everything from like all those people and stuff like that. There, it can't be a coincidence that he makes these, you know, decisions and whatnot. It's just, yeah, it's deep. It, you're right. You're right in that. Like, I would not be surprised if every element of this game and probably the series to a certain extent goes incredibly deep in the, in those kinds of ways. You know, like when, even when the game's not being preachy, like, um, that's the thing with this series is, you know, like Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid 1 is kind of like heavy handed in the way that, uh, you know, that it chose to talk about like nuclear war and stuff like that. And it was definitely, you know, very, very preachy. And Metal Gear was like too and weird and stuff like that. And he gets, he, he like, Kojima fluctuates between different levels of subtlety and different levels of like, ah, like in your faceness, you know? Mm. Same thing with this game. All wrapped up in one. Some elements are subtle, some elements not so much. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> we wrote at the end of this outline, from here we can go into spoiler territory if we want. <laughs> Final thoughts slash open discussion. Um, and I feel like we, we definitely we've already have done that. this one. Have we hit the, are we, we're approaching the three-hour mark on this, aren't we? We, are. we always do. It's, it's, a, it's an extravaganza, officially, <laughs> that will be on the title. Um, <laughs> it's, a full, it's a full metal gear solid. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. What, any, any last thoughts or like closing comments that you have? I feel, I've talked for like two and a half out of these three hours, maybe more. No, I'm just soaking it in now. I feel like I feel like the the thought that I've been developing was was the one that I just gave. Yeah, um, like it, it's it, if not worth. Well, 
that it's definitely a series that's worth reading up on and researching at the very least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I probably will. Like I said, I, I feel like I never, I never took a college course where actually I did. I took a college course, but it was like specifically like a postmodernism in science fiction course. And I was able to give a presentation on some of the, uh, the technology uh, of mass effect and whatnot. But I was going to say, I've never took one of those courses that I hear about that is specifically about a video game. But I feel like the Metal Gear Solid series is one of those, those courses that you could teach an entire class on. And that class could be about, um, you know, like being an auteur and like authorship and things like that. It can be about, you know, like war economies and government conspiracies. It can be about, you know, video games as a, as a medium and, you know, and the, the, the creation process and stuff like that. And like you're saying, it can be about drawing parallels between, you know, Kojima as a writer, director, and, you know, like post-war parallels, you know, as, mm -hmm. as they appear in real life in the game. Everything from, like you were saying, World War II, uh, this, this series, you know, takes place during, I believe during and, and after, you know, the Cold War and, and references that material a lot. Yeah. And it does this really, really fantastic thing where it throws in just enough real his history with its own history. It mixes real history with its own history to create this really fantastic alternate history for the world, you know, Russia, America, you know, and just like in everywhere. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's a great, it's a great ship to sail on most of the time. <laughs> yeah, it has a wide breadth. Yeah, it really does. You know, the, as part of these closing thoughts, I guess the, the thing that I'm really curious about now, kind of like, you know, the, the upset crowd is saying the real big boss has been off doing who knows what, build, building his own base. Here's, here's the weird thing, right? So that real big boss who sends Solid Snake to kill the body double, real himself. big boss, um, he gets like, quote unquote, taken out by Solid Snake in, in the, uh, the official canon second game on the MSX. And I can't, and I'm not sure, because I'm not that familiar with that game, I'm not sure if we're led to believe that, that Solid Snake kills Big Boss or, or what happens, but Big Boss does eventually show up as an old man in the end of Metal Gear Solid 4, and the two of them get to talk again at the very end of that game. At the end of, of Metal Gear Solid 4, Scott, like I said, Solid Snake is old. He, he's aging at a rapid age because, you know, he's just like a genetically created clone soldier and stuff like that. And so his body's all weird and he's back yeah. right here. And he's seen so much stuff on the battlefield that one of the most powerful moments in that game is where he is standing in front of the grave of Big Boss with a gun in his mouth about to pull the trigger and Big Boss comes and puts a hand on his shoulder <laughs> and like stops him from doing it. Man, this series is, is insane. I love it so much. I love it so much. <laughs> I do. And like I said, despite like all this knowledge of, about it and, you know, this, this fandom that I have for it, I still only consider myself to be on this, maybe like slightly above average, slightly above average of like fan of it. There, there's people, 
who dance circles around me when it comes mm. to, to their knowledge about all this stuff. And, and, and I love that Kojima over the years has created a series that like, you know, that really deep conversations can take place about because of, I don't know, just because he has approached the medium the way he has. Yeah. And he has, he has made games, you know, in this very way that he has chosen to make games over the years. Are there any prominent rumors for the next game? No, no, because with the what I will call the the demise of Konami, you know, here's so weird about Konami is all the bad press that they've been getting lately, and then they go and they release Metal Gear, and it's receiving like nines and tens across the board. You know, for Phantom Pain, they uh, just released I forget what it's called. It's like their their PES soccer game just had a massive comeback over FIFA, where everybody's saying that it might have finally dethroned. FIFA after a really long time and it's getting really good reviews and stuff like that, but it's like Konami's not interested in the game industry anymore and there's talk of Kojima, you know, just finally quitting his position there, and he said like for the, like the past three or four Metal Gear games that it was going to be his last game, but, mm. but should he ever want to do this and ever want to do like a canon game for this arc, he does still have that real story of whatever big boss is doing, yeah. you know, achieving in parallel with uh, with the character that you're actually playing as in the Phantom Pain, and he could tell that story one day. But I, I think if he just leaves it alone from here, I think something about it will just be really, really bittersweet and really, really perfect. Like I, I think that the bittersweet endings to stories are are often my favorite, and I think that's what he's achieved with this one. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. I think he shouldn't touch it. There, there's no rumors of him touching it anymore, or doing anything with it more. Like that Metal Gear Rising Revengeance game uh, that came out a couple of years ago on PlayStation 3 and 360. The one that you play is the Cyborg Ninja Raiden, and you can like Platinum Games made it. They made the Bayonetta series and Vanquish and stuff like that. Um, I guess that game has already been said. Like that's not canon. So when the next canon game will come out, who knows? Like I don't know hmm. that anybody can write a game and call it canon without it being Kojima because I just don't think anybody will care or believe, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Kojima does from here and where, where Konami goes and what they decide to do with the series. So that's that. That's that's our podcast extravaganza. Do you have any final thoughts? Final, final, final thoughts? I think I'm really done talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm good. We had like a solid three hours right here anyways. Okay, cool. Yeah. Then um, we'll hang up here, and then I'll, I'll chat with you for a minute or so more about other housekeeping tasks and stuff like that. Sounds good. Okay, so... For all intents and purposes, <laughs> for 30andnerdy.com... I'm Matt. I'm Scott. And this has been a Metal Gear Solid 5 podcast extravaganza. By the way, PS, PPS, if you go to our 30 Nerdy Etsy shop, we have a Metal Gear Solid pin back button set on there. If you like collecting pins, we got some cool pins. You get a bonus pin when you buy the set also. So whatever you see there, all the awesome Metal Gear Solid pins, um, they come with the bonus pin. 
<laughs> I forgot to plug that. I forgot that like we sell this thing in our Etsy shop that totally has to do with what you know, like what this podcast is about. But you know, like what? See if anybody makes it through the three hours. They can yeah, yeah, exactly. This is like the. I should record a commercial for us and like splice it somewhere in the beginning. But you know, what? I'm, I'm not going to be that that cheap about it. So there it is. In the end, okay. If you if you and we say this every single time. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms, complaints, concerns, or you just want to praise the hell out of talking about this for three hours straight, definitely shoot us a message on Facebook or in the comment section, you know, on like YouTube, or you can go on the website, you could do it there. Everything's Anywhere online. You find us. Yeah, I think if you Google 30 Nerdy, I don't even know if we come up, but if we don't, you know, it's like facebook.com forward slash 30 Nerdy, 30nerdy.com. Um, and then we've got Twitter at thirty and nerdy spelled out. Um, Scott, where are you on Twitter? Did you say? Uh, I'm at SW Hannon as always. All right, there you go, there you go. That's everything. Anything else? That's about it. All right. Snake. <laughs>